What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Thanks for calling the Midnight Drive-In. No one is here to take your call. This week's features are Commando and Cobra. You can go Commando as long as you're Cobra. Don't mind your jeans rubbing on it. For more info, check out the Midnight Drive-In on Twitter at MNDriveInPod or find us on Facebook. If you want to email us, send it to TheMidnightDriveIn at gmail.com. Remember, no outside food or drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive-in will immediately be taken to the office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling. Drive away your worries and cares at this drive-in theater. That's why, to familiarize you with the movie rating symbols which will be used by this theater, we present the following guide for parents and young people. X, no one under 17 admitted. If you'd been on time, we'd only be starting like half an hour late. I know. Instead of 45 goddamn minutes. You son of a bitch. I'm old, you know how tired I'm going to be tomorrow. I'm going to have to yell at all the workers that are younger than me. <laughs> Damn you with your young bodies and energy. You don't, you don't know what pain is. Bring me coffee. <laughs> so me, man, I went out and got wasted last night and totally didn't even go to sleep until like 6 a.m. And then I just got up, took a shower, feel fine. Yeah. Meanwhile, Noah's sitting across from that guy. Yeah, I talked to some guys on the internet. Well, I tried to, but we had a lot of technical difficulties. <laughs> I'm pretty tired now. Can you guys cover for me? <laughs> I have to go take an old man nap at the closet. The funny uh, thing is I was I was actually telling them because I was talking about watching the movies, and they were like, what would you, you watch those movies for? And I was like, well, we're doing them for the podcast, and they're awesome. <laughs> but besides that, and they're like, Oh, well, that seems fun. That's That seems kind of nerdy, though. And I was like, I play Dungeons & Dragons every week. I'm a full-grown man. <laughs> and, and without fail, I play Dungeons & Dragons every week. I have a club dedicated to going to arcades to play pinball together. So watching these movies is what is what was nerdy? That's what I said. I was like, these are... What has happened to the society? Yeah. This is not, like... These are not nerd-friendly films, even, this week. These were... No. The cool macho guys watched these movies when we were kids. Uh, everyone watched these movies when we were kids. Yeah. <laughs> I can't even confirm that anyone else watched these movies, because I spent so much of my childhood inside the house by myself watching these movies that I don't know what was <laughs> going on in the real world. <laughs> It's like, yeah, all these problems in the Middle East. Why don't you just send Schwarzenegger over? He did it in Commando. Yeah. I mean, Commando Commando was the start of the I'll be back catchphrase, right? 
Was that the oh. second time he said it? Yeah, like the first time would be in Terminator. Yeah, of course. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, the second time is what made it the catchphrase, so. I guess, yeah. Catchphrase! This really, like, Commando is really the start of Schwarzenegger as Schwarzenegger. This is yeah. where he established, like, who he is as a, a person in every movie after this. It's true. So, Doug, why don't you tell us all about Commando and how it shaped your life? Yeah, it shaped my life in as much as I spent so much time sitting on my ass that I will never be in as good a shape as any of the people in this movie. <laughs> uh... Yeah, Commando starts off with people are being killed, and then the people, it turns out it's part of a conspiracy to get uh, John Matrix to come out of retirement. What a horrible name. It's an amazing name. It helps set up the atmosphere that you can expect for the rest of this movie perfectly. Um, So the plan is kidnap his daughter and get him to go down to South America and kill some leader that he helped install when he was working for the US military and he decides fuck that instead I'm just going to kill all of you people and get my daughter back myself and there's like a minor plot twist where uh, we find out that the bad guy used to work with him but that's about it the rest of it is just him killing people (laughs) and saying awesome one liners and this movie's amazing (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I think I saw this when I was like seven or eight or something and declared it was like, yeah, one of the greatest movies of all time. Well, I remember going years without seeing it and thinking like, it's probably pretty cheesy. And this is one of those movies that like, when I was a kid, this was like a good action movie and I loved it. But then as an adult, I went back to it and I'm like, oh, they're being like, uh, all the cheese is on purpose, right? which makes it amazing because it worked on both levels. And as I grew, the movie kind of grew with me. I I think the bad thing about the 80s, though, is that the cheese wasn't on purpose. It's just what we view as cheese now, they viewed as, like, kick-ass then. Does that make sense? Uh, I see your point, but in this movie particularly, I don't know that I agree with it. I think that they knew damn well what they were doing. I mean, why else is Sully wearing that suit? That can't be... <laughs> that, that can't be unintentional for him to just look uh, like that sleazy and slimy. And then, I, like, multiple uploads on Instagram of Sully's suit by Duck. <laughs> I just I forgot about his suit. I don't know how I forgot. I, remember, I can remember his face. I can remember everything about him except his suit. Speaking of Sully, I forgot... How many fucking recognizable people are in this movie? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I didn't know we had a Bill Paxton connection in this until he shows up. And I was like, fuck right, Bill Paxton. Bill Paxton, David Patrick Kelly, the king of being fucking weird. <laughs> I mean, that's his job, right? He's kind of like Brad Dourif in that way. They're like, Brad Dourif, we need you to be like creepy and uncomfortably unaware of personal space and boundaries. He's like, I can do that. And then they're like, and we need someone who could suspiciously be your serial killer brother. So we're going to bring in David Patrick Kelly. (laughs) Uh, See, I know him as uh, the the 
the bad guy from Dreamscape. So every time I see him somewhere, I'm like, ah, it's the guy from Dreamscape. Scary so here's motherfucker. The, here's the problem with all these people is when I see them in other stuff, I think I'm as the, of the guy from Commando. That's so... <laughs> I was, I was going to say he's also uh, evil businessman's sleazy brother in Twin Peaks. Mm-hmm. He's just, he's fucking everywhere. Yeah. Warriors. I, I suppose we should say Warriors. Since oh, I, I guess. <laughs> I mean, that's no commando. Again. Like, I'm glad that he was in this other stuff, but he's the guy from Commando. He didn't wear a suit like that in any of those other movies. <laughs> you remember when I said I'd kill you last? <laughs> yeah, so this basically became like the blueprint for every Arnold Schwarzenegger movie after this. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, it's totally fine. Yeah, I mean, look, some actors are great actors, and some actors are great at doing a particular thing, and they're able to parlay that into a career. The 80s was a prime example where, you know, Van Damme had his, for some reason, I have to go into an underground fighting tournament. That was his niche. He was really good at it. You know, Schwarzenegger played this same character, just thrown into weird situations. Sometimes he was on a futuristic game show. Sometimes he was a retired military guy. See, and I would say you could draw a line that this is a prequel to Predator, essentially. He gets back into the Black Ops stuff and has to go, you know, here's this people got gone missing in the jungle so he had to go yeah, I think it's pretty clear at the end of the movie when they say we'll see you next time and he says no chance he makes <laughs> it very clear he did this only for his daughter and he will not uh, he will not be doing this ever again and no, I don't he, know why there's no commando too because he would have assumed <laughs> there would have been but well I have I have trivia on that we'll get to it did, did we uh, mention his daughter's uh, weird lesbian sex scene from uh, several movies later. Why you gonna ruin it, Noah? You remember? You remember that time she was a vampire? Yeah, we all remember. We did a whole podcast <laughs> before you joined. But... <sighs> and it wasn't a lesbian sex scene. There was a dude there. By the way, I don't know why it just occurred to me that her name is Jenny Matrix. That's hilarious. <laughs> Seems to be a million that. times that never occurred to me that that's her full name, but I guess it is. Yeah. <sighs> but see, then I feel like okay, so he goes to the jungle after this to 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 fight an alien, and then you know he's like, "That's it, I'm retired. My daughter is out of the house. I'm just gonna become. Uh, I'm gonna go work for like the police or whatever." So he becomes like a helicopter pilot for the police. So then he gets. Uh, uh, Shanghai into being this uh, butcher uh, field. Yeah, butcher's is a that, big. Is that the term you're looking for? Yeah, I was trying to think. Uh, set up. He was. Yeah. I wanted to say blackmailed, but that's not right. He he got set up, and then uh, had to go play on this uh, futuristic game show. See, all it, makes sense. It, it makes as much sense as anything. Um, do you want to hear about Anyways, the? Let's, let's talk. You want to hear about the What's proposed that? sequel? Yes. So a year later, and I don't know if this is true. I think this is a fact that I learned and then kind of forgot about and then just relearned again, but I'm not sure if this is like an urban legend, but IMDb says it's true, so we'll go with it. 
So a year later, there was a sequel written uh, by Stephen D'Souza, and apparently revised by Frank Darabont. Wow. That's yeah. awesome. Uh, with an eye of having John McTiernan to direct. And the script was based on the book Nothing Lasts Forever. But Schwarzenegger decided, nah, I'm not interested in doing it. So they reworked the script with a new central character that was eventually played by Bruce Willis and became the movie Die Hard. That's interesting. So the plot of the abandoned sequel would have been that uh, John was hired by a big corporation to oversee their security to protect their executives from being kidnapped yeah. to stop people breaking into their building and making making sure their computers were secure so he sets it up and hires like some of the most like dangerous mercenaries to be the guards in the building and then uh, apparently he discovers that the people uh, he's working for are actually illegal arms dealers uh, and the big corporation is just like a front and so the movie would have seen him, because uh, Cindy, the Radon Chong, who we haven't talked about yet, um, is now a lawyer and apparently works in that building. And so the movie would have seen Wait, him. Just, can we just, we just glossed over that she's now a lawyer? She's a flight attendant yes. in Commando. Yes. In the sequel, she was going to be a lawyer. Yep. All right. Uh, so it says the end of the movie would have seen Jenny and Cindy, who is now a lawyer, trapped in the building and... John Matrix has to essentially break into the security, the you know the top-notch security that he set up, and he has to defeat all the people he hired, and um, as well as the security systems, the guard dogs, like everything. I'm imagining that 45 minutes of that movie is just Arnold trying to say "Yippee ki yay, motherfucker!" and failing. Yippee <laughs> <laughs> here's here's what's hilarious about that though because the that doesn't sound anything like die hard no and from what i've been told the movie die hard is actually relatively close to the book that it's based on so it's like they completely reworked the book to make this movie for arnold and then when they went forget about it they just went back to the book (laughs) so i've never read the book so i can't 100 percent confirm that's true but that's what i've heard yeah, could be. And and it, just to clarify, that means the three actors that were considered for that role were Schwarzenegger, <laughs> Bruce Willis, and Frank Sinatra. Yeah, because there you go. We, like, if, if you know the trivia, Frank Sinatra had to legally be offered that role. <laughs> so weird. We're jumping ahead, though, because we forgot to talk about how awesome Commando is before we jumped into all this random stuff. Oh, yeah. You just brought up a sequel. I figured that we just, we'll just jump in and talk about the proposed sure. sequel that never happened. Oh, nothing nothing we ever do makes sense, so no, no. let's just go with that. No. So, yeah. So, so, did, so, of course, the movie opens with Arnold, like, I'm about to find a, I don't have a shirt on, and I'm carrying a log on my shoulder, and... It's all this like ridiculous shit. That, of course. When, when I was googling images for this, though, I, I started thinking all of that is foreshadowing. If you start watching it, like you see him walking around carrying that big giant log that no human being could actually carry, but then later in the movie, he's got to hoist up like a big giant rocket launcher that no human being could actually carry in the same sort of manner. And I'm thinking like this is all done on purpose. I think. There's and the phone booth. Like, he does have to rip that phone, phone booth in a very similar manner, yeah. 
yeah like so i'm starting to think that yeah it makes it it's all done intentionally i do think that the director deserves a ton of credit for this opening sequence because this movie isn't about plot this movie is about action and they get all the plot kind of out of the way in the first three minutes of the movie and they do an excellent job with shorthand of like okay these guys are all being killed off it's pretty clear that they're being killed off as part of some larger conspiracy cut to now we know that schwarzenegger is living in the woods with his daughter and they're they must be connected you can kind of logically assume that we Mm -hmm. jump right to it it's made really clear up front that he's done more to stay on his toes and stay in shape than those other guys have that were clearly had let themselves go a little bit didn't have armories in their shed and then we get you know the quick lines of dialogue exposition to explain what the actual plot is boom into the action and the rest of the movie is just action the the director does a really good job of just like the shorthanding all that stuff oh, yeah. just yeah. making sure you know exactly what's going on you know every detail you need and nothing extra the general's character in the entire movie's only job is to reinforce how badass Arnold is in this movie. Because yep. they're, they're always like, oh, what's do you think they've caught him? And he's like, of course they haven't. And they're like, well, is it over then? And he's like, no, because there would be an ocean of bodies. Yeah, I love that general. The guy is so badass. Because he just like he just like clearly just praises Schwarzenegger. <laughs> and in that sense this movie kind of reminds me a lot of Rambo, uh, the first Rambo First Blood we should have probably teamed it up with that it would have made more sense because they, they are sort of the same thing the retired guy who's still capable who gets kind of dragged into a, a fight against his will and then has a general dropping all sorts of exposition about how badass he is. Yeah, and trying to explain to everybody that there would just be a lot more bodies if they had pissed this guy off a little bit more. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. I do, I, that does definitely check one of my boxes. Like, the idea of, like, well, he was special ops, and now someone's going around killing his his crew. That, I'm just automatically just like, yeah, this is going to be a good movie. It, it's as long as yeah because there's two ways they can go with it they can make it into a, like a thriller and you could have him trying to hunt down the people who have done this which has a lot of potential but a lot of potential to go wrong mm-hmm. when they decide to go full on 80s action movie with that plot and it's just going to be him killing people mm-hmm. it's like of course they're going to get it right like it, it's hard to screw that up at that point but this movie really hits it out of the park above and beyond what any other film same plot has. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, that montage in the beginning sets up his relationship with his daughter. Yeah. And then they're, they show up and they're like, yeah, we're just going to hold on to your daughter for a little bit till you get this done. And even in your mind, you're like, oh, that's a, that's a horrible mistake. <laughs> it's just, you just know. Like, we already saw this guy, like, carrying a chainsaw that most of us would have difficulty carrying and he's got that in one hand and a tree strung up over his shoulder on the other hand <laughs> meanwhile he's he's got the heart of gold because we saw we also saw him and his daughter feeding a baby deer like all in the same two seconds 
<laughs> we've learned that he's st- that he's on his toes because he can smell people who are downwind from him, and he can pick up when people sneaking up behind him by using his axe as a reflection of the <laughs> surface. We've learned all of this in no time, so we like, are yeah. in no way surprised when this guy is capable of pulling off everything he does in this movie. Yeah, and I just love that he just. <laughs> I mean, they got him tied to a table. And he just looks at him and he's like, I'm going to fucking kill all of you. <laughs> and they're just like, eh, whatever. They're like, none of them believe he's capable. The only one who does is Bennett, who's the leader. And, you know, we come to find out that he's sort of expecting exactly what happens because he knows, <laughs> just like the general knows how badass Arnold Schwarzenegger is. Yeah. Bennett also knows. Ah. <sighs> So if we just go through the movie, though, let's start with, okay, so the, the plan is send him down to South America, take his daughter off somewhere else. They take the daughter away, and they put him on the plane. That's when he kills his first bad guy. <laughs> he literally just gives him an elbow to the head and breaks his neck while sitting in first-class seats. Well, I also love the fact that he definitely does not want to go. Yeah. He told, uh, he getting out of the car, and they kind of chided them a little bit. You know, this means we'll have more time with your daughter, and they all smile. And he just wants to like flip the car over. Yeah, and it's just like that's when you get the "I'll be back" like line. Yeah, and then, uh, but he doesn't want to go. But then he's sitting there in first class, and he almost just like for the guy that's accompanying him, he almost just plays it up like, "Well, I, mean, I guess I'm here." So he's like, uh, "Excuse me, can I get a blanket and a pillow?" <laughs> Like, is the guy sitting next to him just like, oh, okay, good. He's, he's well, just going to play along. Yeah, well, I mean, keep in mind that these this group that is that is kidnapped the daughter, they think they're really smart, right? They think they've got this guy. We've got his yeah. daughter. He's not going to do anything stupid and risk his daughter's life. Hmm. So they're pretty laid back about it, especially at the beginning here. And then all of a sudden, when he kills that first guy, and I'm just like, that's amazing. <laughs> Followed by, he puts the little blanket over the dead body. Just politely asks the stewardesses to leave him alone. He's dead tired. <laughs> oh, if you're not sold yet on this movie by the time you get to this scene, then you and I are probably never gonna get along. That's just the that's just how it is. It's yeah. so good. And apparently there's a cut think- either for TV or something where they actually took the scene of him because he elbows the guy in the face. And then he puts him in a headlock and just kind of wrenches his neck and that kills him. But apparently there's like a TV cut or something where they take out him breaking his neck. <laughs> so it's like he just kills him with one elbow shot to the face. It's almost better. I know. Sorry, go ahead, Noah. I was going to say, well, toward the beginning of the movie, I think my only complaint in the whole thing is, uh, I'm going to butcher this actor's name because I'm going to fuck it up every time. Dan, uh, Hiyata Hedaya, is that his name? Carlos' ex husband from Cheers, the main bad guy. Okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Having, uh, see, having him, see, for me, him he's, seduce he's him always like, the dad from Clueless. Yeah, that's a good one, too. But, uh, well, really, ironically, I think of his Nick's dad from Family Ties. So. Having him do that accent is just a bad choice <laughs> it's he's, yeah. he's a really good actor and that is a really really bad accent that he's trying to do it's like i don't know what you call it like tan face or something because he it's clearly oh, yeah. he's not 
a South American warlord, but they just tried to get him to play one by just like having him go tanning a little bit and then speak in a Spanish accent. <laughs> and yeah, it's not really okay. And we, I mean, we've talked time and time again on this podcast about the eighties political correctness wasn't a thing yet. Um, yeah, it's, but this is essentially blackface for South America. It's, it's pretty offensive. Uh, I guess one of the funny things is, uh, as we'll see later, he does get to pick up a gun. Mm-hmm. But he was so wary about shooting the gun, even if the bullets were blanks, that he still was just not into it. So if you go back and look at the scene with him with the machine gun, oh, he's yeah. like cringing like every time he pulls the trigger. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah, well, what are you going to do? I will say. Uh, also, in these movies, I know you're not supposed to complain about things that aren't realistic. After all, Arnold throws a guy in a phone booth in a little while. <laughs> but, but have you guys ever been water skiing before? No. Or, or like get dragged by a boat in a tube or anything like that? Yeah. No. Okay. Uh, Seems like too dangerous to me. Yeah. Even even if you're only going like ten miles an hour. 10 miles an hour on the water is a good clip, and if you fall and hit that water, it hurts a lot. Planes move much faster than that. So you're telling, you, you're telling me planes go faster than 10 miles an hour? Yes. I don't know. I think in kilometers. I can't understand what you're saying. I'm just saying. You're realistic. If you hit that water going as fast as a plane taking off, you're going to skip a couple times. <laughs> But he yeah. landed in that pack of uh, reeds or whatever. That so would, I, I have a feeling that would make it worse. That would just shred you. <laughs> no, it like broke his fall because it was really soft reeds. And then <laughs> the water very, was just... They were very soft. And then the water was it was only like waist deep because he immediately got up and walked out of there. So it's not a problem. <laughs> right. Like I, I said, love- it's not a fair complaint because this movie has no... Uh, pretense of obeying the laws of physics or anything like that. Yeah, I mean, I also don't think that if a roadrunner were to paint a tunnel on the side of a on the side of a thing, it would look realistic enough that a coyote would run right into it. But I know that that can happen in certain universes, right? And that's the same thing here. Yeah. You're in the cartoon universe. In the cartoon universe, he can just jump off of that. Like I said, I accept it. I just would like to have been in the writer's room when somebody was like, uh, I don't think he would live through that. Well, the thing is, like, <laughs> what would happen is they had, they'd bring in the script and they'd be reading it as a group and they'd get to that scene. They go, this part doesn't feel very real world to me. And their screenwriter would look up and go, oh, you ain't seen nothing yet. Wait till the Tarzan <laughs> moment. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Wait till this fucking 300 pounds of pure muscle is swinging from a streamer in a mall. Because what the fuck? But anyways. Uh, yeah, I do like on the plane that they're like taking off and he just gets up and the wait- or the steward is like, sir, you need to sit down. He's like, uh, I'm airsick. And then she's just sort of like, uh, all right. Like, like that's a viable excuse. I don't think it's a viable excuse. I think the implication based on her facial expression is this guy is too big to stop. He can go do whatever he wants. <laughs> and that's kind of fair. 
like if a guy that looks like Arnold Schwarzenegger is coming at you and you'd be like, uh, sir, I'm in charge here and I think you need to sit down and he goes, well, I'm not gonna. All right. <laughs> what you can yeah. do about it. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, he gets up and he, they say the plane ride is 11 hours. He gets up, says that to her and then disappears for the rest of the flight. And there's never a question about <laughs> where he's been. Well, in the interest of fairness, we never clip back to that plane. We don't know what happened in the plane Fair. during that 11 actually, hours. Actually, we do clip back to it because we clip back to it whenever it lands and they find the dead body. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we don't know what happened during the course of that eleven hours. Yeah. Um, so of course Schwarzenegger sets his watch to eleven hours, the timer on it. This I love gives it. us a nice like ticking clock for the rest of the movie. Yeah, which is just that way when nobody stops to take a breath for the remainder of the film, we're all okay <laughs> with it because we're nowhere on a timeline. <laughs> Because that, that leads us pretty much straight to the mall after Schwarzenegger kidnaps some poor innocent woman and tears after, her. After Sully tries to like pick her up, it's yeah. like too gross. I like, I like the fact that the entire mall scene is kind of based off the same. Uh, I don't know if you guys have ever heard the joke scenario of how many toddlers could you fight. Like, there's always been a long-running meme joke of, sure, sure, a full-grown person, you probably couldn't even take one, but you can definitely take a toddler. So how many toddlers can you fight at once? And they basically just expand that to 1980s Arnold Schwarzenegger. How many rent-a-cops can he fight at once? <laughs> yeah, that's great. Yeah, we do like it. She kidnaps... Uh... Cindy, and then just rips the seat out of her car. (laughs) I remember like being a kid and watching this movie, and my dad was behind me. My dad is not a big movie buff. He doesn't really appreciate films like this. (laughs) And he just, he's like, wait. And I paused the movie. He goes, did he just tear the the seat right out of the car just so he can sit lower? And I'm like, yeah, I think that's what happened, Dad. I'm like eight, so I'm just going with whatever my dad says happened is probably what happened. He goes, all right. I hit play, and he just got up and left the room. <laughs> we're, done. we're done here. <laughs> For me. See, I don't think I watched this with my grandparents on like a, uh, like a afternoon movie type thing the first time. I, I watched this. They were totally into it. My family. Oh, I watched yeah. this with every member of my family at least twice. We're like, hey, guess what we're watching today? Commando. It's just... Well, because keep uh, in mind, it was the 80s. We didn't have... Like, there was no Netflix. There was... Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You could go rent a movie on a Saturday, but the rest of the week, you had your... Whatever tapes first in your home. <laughs> yeah, because you, you didn't want to buy, like, the $90 movie from the video store. No. We would have... We would have the uh, we get the free movie channel like every now and again, mm. like for the weekend or whatever. And my mom would get like me, my brother, and my sister each a cassette. We could record movies on them. And my brother was some kind of like idiot savant genius because he put together a VHS tape. He put it on the slow play or whatever, so you got as much time as possible. And it was in order. It was Predator, Commando, and then RoboCop, all in the same tape. Oh, yeah. The greatest cassette tape tape that's ever existed. (laughs) So it was literally, we would just watch them in order. And then, like, by the time you're done RoboCop, you want to watch Predator again. So you just rewind it and start from the beginning. (laughs) I don't know how many times we watched all those movies. 
That's so good. I want that three pack with Blu-ray. I want to go to my parents' house and see if they still have that tape. I bet it's there somewhere. And I already own all three of those movies on Blu-ray. Nevertheless. I just, I just want them packaged together. So, is the most ridiculous part of the mall scene when he tears the phone booth out to stop Sully from calling in the fact that he's still alive? Or is it when Cindy decides, after reporting Arnold Schwarzenegger to the cops, that she's going to assault a police officer <laughs> to protect him? Or is it when the guy that Sully's there to meet just randomly decides to join the gunfight and gets himself killed, even though he's in no way, shape, or form involved? Uh, I think it's got to be the part where he Tarzans using what can only be described as plastic as thick as a garbage bag. Yeah, yeah. That, that's that's a good one. So I dropped uh, I dropped out for a second, so I missed some of those questions. But the answer is yes. <laughs> it's it's which part of the what what thing in the mall scene, which is uh, is I think we can all agree ridiculous from the moment it starts to the moment it ends. What's the most ridiculous thing that happens in all of that? The best thing. The most ridiculous. So yes. Oh the well, best. first the, best the, 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 the 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 Tarzan swing. The, the Tarzan swing, because there is a moment yeah. in this where he literally like thirty cops charge Arnold Schwarzenegger and they're in a big pile, and then he does and he stands back up and they all go flying backwards. That's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. total. I, still, I love great. that moment. I love that moment where the guy that Sully is there to meet just comes running out of the bar or restaurant area and just comes running out and just starts joining in the fight. No reason whatsoever. Then <laughs> he gets himself shot and all the money goes flying everywhere for no reason. <laughs> but even the dialogue. Yeah, in sorry, my, my internet's being a fucking dick right now. So right. I randomly disappear. Keep it going. All right. I think, I, but even the dialogue in this scene is just they're letting you know how ridiculous it is when the rent-a-cop is trying to describe Schwarzenegger over his CB radio he's like 6'2 brown hair one gigantic motherfucker <laughs> it's like I mean it's an accurate description but it's not usually how mall cops talk oh, well I do like the, the fact that they were just like all mall cops are these self-aggrandized cop wannabes which is accurate which is accurate yeah, and they just hand that up to the extreme. Sure. Yeah, and I don't like now. This is a question I had for you guys: Is it normal that they had guns? Is that an American thing? Uh, I have never seen a rent a cop with a gun. Okay. No, me neither. So okay, that is ridiculous. Then I just it, I had always assumed it was ridiculous, and then I part of me thought maybe it's just a it's a Canadian thing. I don't know. I I've seen them carry the uh the tasers that like sit in a gun holster so it looks like they have a gun. That probably makes them feel like really big men. Oh, I'm sure it does. <laughs> and I'm sure it's their greatest loss in life that they've never actually got to zap someone with it. Come to think of it, I don't know if the malls here most of them even have security. I would say most of them here don't either, except in the really big cities. Like, uh, the mall in the town where I grew up had, like, one, and he was old. Like, there was, like, an 80-year-old security guy who you see you'd see every once in a while, like, just walking from end to end, doing nothing. Okay. That sounds like what we'd have up here. 
they are the they are the Walmart greeter of mall employees. Yes. All right. Did we lose Brian again? It's possible. Let's just move on with the movie because we're getting up to the scene where Sully dies, and that's one of my favorite moments in <laughs> history. Move, moving along, high speed car chase. <laughs> Ridiculously long high speed car chase that somehow has no consequences. <laughs> that's one of the things I love about this movie. Nothing Schwarzenegger does has any consequence to it. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, nobody calls the cops after the whole mall thing. There's nobody looking for him. It's not like he's a hard to find guy. <laughs> <laughs> But in the, the, the there's a, some debate between in the Sully scene where he dangles Sully by one arm over a cliff and he's like, "Remember when I said I was going to kill you last? I lied." There's, <laughs> there's, there's some debate about what Arnold's best line is, and my personal favorite is when <laughs> when it's all said and done and he goes to get back in the car. <laughs> the girl asks, "Like, what'd you do with Sully?" And he's like, "I let him go." That's my favorite line of dialogue <laughs> in the movie. <laughs> Because he just, because technically it's true, right? I love the honesty of it. It's a good one. I do like the fact that they, with the the remember when I killed, I said I'd kill you last thing. They took the time to set that joke up. Mm-hmm. Like that was a thing. Like that writer was like, oh yeah, I've got this. I do think like a lot of this movie is more clever than people would give it credit for. Like even that opening kill where they're in first class, they take it like there's like a, a line of dialogue explaining that they're in first class, and then okay, that's why there's only two of them sitting side by side and they're not in three to a seat or whatever. Like it, it makes sense when you think about it. Even though I don't think most people think about it, nor do I think the filmmakers intended you to think about it. Hmm. And the same thing with like like these one-liners. Oftentimes, they they don't make any sense unless you set them up. But luckily, they did. Good point. I don't know, and it, may, it raises the question when the, you know if the line of dialogue is "I let him go." Did they write that line of dialogue and then have to script a scene where he dangles him over a cliff, or do they already have a scene where he dangles him over a cliff and then go? We need we need a quippy one-liner for after that. I have to assume that they wrote in the dangling him over a cliff. Yeah. That, that they were just that far ahead. They were like, yeah, and then he dangles him over a cliff. And they're like, oh, shit. Then what does he do? And he's like, he drops him and then <laughs> says, I had to let him go. Like, get it? Like, firing him. Yeah. <laughs> but really, he dropped him off a cliff. Remember that part? <laughs> so like, I, just, I just really wanted to be in that writer's room because that's all I imagine is that they were all like nudging each other and they're like, oh my god, this is going to be so good. <laughs> oh, that's how I am when I'm watching the movie is nudging people around me. <laughs> I do also like the fact that she's like, now we don't have a car. What are we going to do? And he's like, oh, we do have a car. <laughs> he, just, yeah, he just pushes the car that's tipped over back onto its side by himself. And... Once again, you, you have to give him credit for thinking way deep. So both she and Sully apparently both drive the teeniest, tiniest European sports car possible. Yeah. Thus making Arnold look extra huge and able to manhandle the car. Yeah. Yeah, because I'm sure that he could tip, like, given the beast of a human being he is, I'm sure he could tip over a normal-sized car, but it wouldn't look as cool if he wasn't bigger than the car. I think Brian died. 
<laughs> Possible, I guess. Possibly. I can't even remember what the fuck happens after the car scene. Oh, because that's when they go to the hotel room. And that's the knockdown Drago fight with, uh, what's his name, Duke? No, sorry, oh. Duke is the actor. It's Cook is the character. And he's, he's, that's when, for some reason, there's no music for that scene. And it's like a tribute, like a preemptive tribute to the fight scene from uh, They Live, where these just two guys just duke it out for like 10 minutes in a hotel room. <laughs> Except they're giant beasts of, of men. True. And I love it. What I love about that scene is it's a subtle little thing that they just get right is that they cut all the background music so it's just like dead silence. And then every punch, they do that cheesy 80s punching sound effect, that psh, psh noise <laughs> that, that you know it's flesh on flesh for some and, reason. And the, yeah. <laughs> I love it. This is the scene where we get our random excuse to have boobs too because he throws them like through a wall or something into the next room. It's just a naked girl in there. I forgot about that. I was because uh, I remember actually thinking that. So me and Char were watching it, and I was like, I remember there being like nudity in this one, and I, for the life of me, can't remember how they justify there being nudity. And then that scene came, and I was just, like, Oh, that's it. Yeah, just two people banging in a honeymoon suite, and they just smashed into the wall. You know, as you do. Once again, con- once again, consequence-free. Those people don't call the cops after this happens. Yeah, <laughs> the person yeah. just leaves a dead body laying there and is able to drive off in the guy's car. They don't mind at all. Has Brian returned? Jesus Christ. You back? Yeah. But, I, had go, I had to go restart my modem. I feel like we were continuing on without you for so long. Yeah, we didn't get very far in the movie because we're busy gushing about it. <laughs> so we're only up to the hotel room fight scene if you want to weigh in with your thoughts. Did Brian just drop out again? I think that's a yes. I don't, I don't know. What did the sweet ale? Bam! Bam for time! I don't know what to say. Hello, my baby! Hello! <laughs> so, I I think that at this point in Commando is when things start to get ridiculous, because this is when they go what steal it. A... Oh, wait. Brian? Brian? Ah! And now he's gone. Alright. But just within the next 10 minutes, they steal a bunch of military equipment, steal a plane. This casual dialogue reveals that this girl who kidnapped coincidentally is getting her pilot's license, so she knows how to fly said plane. And now they're off to the island for the final confrontation. Which is weird. Fuck, you skipped a lot. Okay, what do you feel we missed? I don't know, a lot, because I was gone for most of it, but yeah. Anyone. So now in 
obviously this is the best island invasion scene in cinematic history when Schwarzenegger shows up, gears up, and takes on an entire army by himself. The only question is how much above the second place one do you guys think this is? Man, I'm trying to think of what second place is. I don't like every other movie is tied for second after this one. It's so good him for running around this island, blowing up everybody, and those ridiculous grenades that he throws and they blow up, and two guys go flying in opposite directions for some reason. We did skip the fact that, uh, and I've never realized this before, but the scene where the chick grabs the four barrel missile launcher, yeah, and accidentally fires it backwards mm-hmm. because those things are very hard to tell what direction you're facing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, is basically an entire joke plot piece in the Polly Shore movie in the army now. <laughs> All right. Where they basically that that entire thing, and I'm assuming because of this movie becomes a running joke through that entire movie, where the sides of those actually has like instructions that says point this way, and he still fires it the wrong way like twice. It was just just random trivia, something I thought about, and I was like, oh my god, they totally fucking yanked that from this. Yeah, I was going to point out that to rescue him from the police paddy wagon, she did shoot a rocket at it to knock it over, and then he just climbs out like no big deal. <laughs> well, I, luckily by this point in the movie, she had figured out that Arnold is rocket proof. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty clear that that's not going to stop him. <laughs> Uh, oh, since you guys covered it already, I will uh, mention the director apparently wanted uh, Schwarzenegger to hold uh, David Patrick Kelly over the edge by himself. Oh, yeah? <laughs> without any protective gear. Yeah, and Arnold said, are you crazy? <laughs> and so they used a crane. <laughs> yeah, Kudos to Arnold for being the responsible one on set. Keep in mind that we've talked about this director before, and he is the guy from the class of 84 and class of 99, right? So he might not be used to working with crane budgets. (laughs) Let's put it that way. (laughs) It might just be one of those, well, if we want him dangled over the side, there's only one way to do it. (laughs) Schwarzenegger, get out. I just just want to see, because that conversation's funny enough. Uh, but I just want to see Kelly standing next to him being like, wait, what? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't. Or, or was like, he like, nah, fuck it, it'll be all right. It just turned into short. Like, it's not that I don't trust you, Arnold. It's just that I'd prefer not to be dangled over a cliff by anybody. Well, from listening, for watching his interview on the Dreamscape Blu-ray uh, from the lovely folks at Scream Factory, um, I will say that David Patrick Kelly is a very method actor. Okay, so he might have just been like, "Yeah, fuck it, let's do it." Yes. And as a matter of fact, the only way to make this feel fully realistic, you're gonna have to really drop me at the end. Okay. <laughs> the fact that he's a method actor and he plays some of the most creepy, dangerous people I've ever seen in my entire life—that has got to make the life of the people around him really awkward. <laughs> you know what? You know what? I think the weirdest part is that means that, like, for weeks surrounding this shoot he was probably walking around in that suit he's wearing this not everyone who knows him just had to deal with that suit just picking up women randomly at <laughs> random places <laughs> the, going, the, the bar in the mall what the fuck going back to the suit one more time <laughs> did you guys ever watch duck man on usa do you know what i'm talking yeah. about 
I've seen a handful of episodes, but I was never a porn watcher. I'm aware that it existed. Uh, see, that's I don't know how to explain it without using Duckman. So in Duckman, they use this very specific art style, and when they're drawing wealthy, affluent, suit-wearing assholey people, they all have a very specific shape that's that's not normal human shape. Like their upper body is like a very sharp triangle with like yeah. the shoulder pads on the the suit coming out, and then it hits their pants, and then like the pants flare back out. And that's the suit he's wearing. Yeah, it's like a zoot suit kind of yeah. thing. Like really baggy around the the, bod- the legs and stuff. Where they're trying to like make him look bigger than he is. Because while he is a lot of things, he is not an intimidating person. He's a very small little man. Well, yeah, but I mean, that's we're only getting to the beginning of the problems with this suit. I don't even know what you call the pattern that's on this suit, but I know it's not supposed to be on a suit. It's like the kind of pattern that like people who bought their furniture in 1982 had on it, and then by 85 they immediately regretted it, but they were stuck with that furniture for years. <laughs> it's just, it's just such a horrible look, and for some reason his tie doesn't. You know, every tie in the world comes to a point, except for this one. It flat. It's like a flat cutoff at the bottom. <laughs> like it's not really a tie. It's just a piece of material that he put around his neck. Yeah. Suit's very upsetting to me. <laughs> now I kind of want to watch Duckman. <laughs> Not relevant to the current conversation. We have to get ourselves back on track. Uh, one of my favorite things from him is his uh, incursion on the island. Is he sets up like those uh, bombs? Yeah. And later, when he like sets it off, it looks like fucking nuclear bombs just went off. Oh, yeah. Entire buildings are just flattened. I know. <laughs> like mannequins of people dressed up in military gear just knocked over. Yeah. I also like it. So the military incursion, I feel like in this case in the writer's room, they were having arguments about what gun is the coolest. <laughs> they, they were like, no, he needs like a big, heavy, like M16 kind of gun. And they're like, well, yeah, but no, 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 no. You know what's hot right now because all the gangsters, he needs like a like a Uzi or a Tech 9 kind of gun. And they're like, no, 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 shotguns. Shotguns are the coolest gun. <laughs> and then somebody in the back room just went, yes. Yes, he does need all those guns. Uh-huh. Get the man a bag because he's going to be carrying a large bag full of guns and he's going to use every one of them. Uh, someone's just like you know what's the coolest gun all of them yeah because this this movie is literally like when he hits that island he rows over in that little boat he suits up and he like you see him putting on the fucking like war paint and everything and then he stops and poses for the camera (laughs) which is an amazing moment in cinema in cinema when he just poses for the camera like just in case you guys want to know what this all looks like but as he's going, he's just using gun after gun, and when they're done, he just drops them and pulls another one out. <laughs> and it's amazing because he starts with like those giant explosives. He's then he's then he's to the rocket launcher, then he's to the like machine guns, then the shotguns, then the handguns. Then he's just using shit he finds in a shed. <laughs> Chops the guy's arm off with a machete. <laughs> And it ends up like I love this movie because it's it's kind of like Rogue One like in the way it approaches it because it just narrows it narrows it narrows it narrows it and it ends with just him and another guy throwing haymakers at each other. It's just a fist fight at the end, and I love that he came with all that equipment and just went through all of it to get to the 
<laughs> to get to the end where it's finally a knife fight, then they drop their knives. It's It's been a long time since I saw this, and uh, I've actually been looking for the movie that the machete arm chop off was cribbed from in Anchorman. Oh, yeah? Because so, yeah, I watched it and I was like, damn it, that's really familiar. They took that out of a movie. What movie is it that the dude hacks off the guy's arm like that with the machete? And finally I was watching this and I was like, oh, it's Commando! <laughs> <laughs> well, the funny thing is apparently the original scripted scene is he cuts the guy's arm off and then picks it up and hits him with it and says, need a hand? Awesome. But they, they ended up never shooting it as they considered it was too macabre. I don't find it macabre at all. Is that weird? <laughs> no. I think that, that's really funny. So my sources tell me that by the end of the movie, John Matrix has killed 81 people uh, in, in 11 hours. You would be a liar because according to IMDb, there's 105 deaths in this movie. And 102 of them are attributed to Arnold Schwarzenegger's character. Well, my source, which is moviebodycounts.com, which of course I have bookmarked for when I need to find out how many people died in a movie, says 81. So I don't know what to trust here. I wonder if they have different uh, things, because I know there's a big argument between on-screen body count and off-screen body count. Well... Right here on the website that I'm looking at, it says for guidelines on how counts are conducted. Please see here. I will click that and let you know how they determine this. <laughs> this is an important sideline. We, we got to know this. Because oh. I'm wondering if like the arm chop is not necessarily a kill. Yeah, like that's Because you don't know if he actually died from it or not. But, but there's got to be... Oh, this link doesn't work. Can't I, I shot myself bitch. in the foot? I painted myself. In the <laughs> but but I, I feel like there's probably some debate to be had, like when buildings blow up, how many people were in that building? You mm-hmm. know, yeah. Is it on, like again, you chop off a guy's arm, he's probably going to bleed to death. But if he holds on until the U.S. military shows up at the end, so anyways. Yeah, I would say, see, because, like, if I'm counting body counts in a movie, the guys who are clearly uh, 10 feet in front of the explosion that, uh, you know, do the whole stunt trampoline work every time a bomb goes off, I do not count that as a kill. That guy clearly was not close enough to that explosion to die. Yeah, I mean, if there hadn't been a trampoline there, he probably wouldn't have been affected that much at all. That's what I'm saying. Hmm. Yeah. Well. So we'll say somewhere between 80 and 100 yeah. deaths attributed to Arnie's character in this movie. Fascinating. And a lot of the brain this last half hour. <laughs> yeah, because literally it's just him like, okay, run up this hill, shoot like 10 people, and then uh, do a shoulder roll, shoot another 10 people. Somehow they're all shooting at him. None of them even comes like one bullet hits him. And it's like it's such a big deal that one bullet hits him when he when he's like hiding in that shed for a moment. And he has to take that vest off. It's so hard for him to take it off. It's like there's no way you survived all this, and that one little Nick is bugging you this much. He's like, ah, like you barely take the vest off. I'm not even sure why he needs it off. I also like the fact that the entire ending of this movie hinges on the fact that uh, the main enemy is a dipshit because he pretty much has Arnold. He's got it. He's got the gun. He's got him. 
yeah. move me over, shoot, shoot Arnold. And Arnold's like, no, he's fine. like, Dean, I have a knife. You have a knife. Put the gun down. Then <laughs> the guy's like, oh, shit, yeah, let's do it that way. No, you fight. No, you shoot the guy. <laughs> Come on, Bennett. I've got one arm. You can take me. It's like, no, that's not a good plan. But he you plays on no better. Plays on Bennett's ego and his anger. I would have shot him in the other arm. Been like, now you have no arms. <laughs> well, he doesn't. He's got a whole plan too, because he says it right now. He's like, I'm not going to shoot you between the eyes, John. I'm going to shoot you between the balls, which I'm not really sure what that means. Because if you go between the balls, first of all, you got to be real accurate, and then secondly, that's going to pass right through and it'd be painful. I'm sure. <laughs> I bet wouldn't be a kill shot per se. Well, I bet the concussion would cause severe damage to your fast deference. Yeah, I don't know how that works. But. So, apparently after filming one scene, Schwarzenegger told the director never to give Vernon Wells, a.k.a. Bennett, a real knife. <laughs> <laughs> That's, you shouldn't have to tell the director not to give anybody a real knife. For starters. <laughs> well, generally the rule in shooting something like that is you shoot part of it with a real knife because that way you can actually hit things and show that the knife is real so that when you use the fake knife it's more effective. I'm assuming he was like, no, he will fucking stab me on accident. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So Apparently there are 54 stunt performers listed in the credits. Which That's is all. 17 more people than the actual cast. <laughs> I would have thought it would be more heavily weighted towards stunt people. A lot of those stunt people had to play multiple characters in this movie. Shar. Shar does not usually get too big of a kick out of things in these movies. But when the credits was rolling, she did go, oh my god, look at the stunt people. Because it's a giant <laughs> block that goes by of stunt people. <laughs> Yeah. That's so, yeah. So yeah, they have their little knife fight, but so, then it, it, they drop knives, just punch each other, and then it's like I don't know, pipes. Tenet at one point gets thrown into that electric thing, but that just motivates him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, don't I, like, I don't remember him dying this way. And I'm like, oh, that's because he's just right back in the fight. That's why <laughs> it doesn't slow him down at all. If anything, it helps him. It's that burst of energy from getting electrocuted. <laughs> And then Schwarzenegger just pulls a pipe off the wall, throws it through his chest. <laughs> Can we talk about how fucking awesome that is? It's so good. It doesn't just go through his chest. It goes through his chest and through a steel pressurized tank. Yeah, not to mention he's wearing chainmail. For some reason, even though this movie takes place in modern times, he's wearing chainmail. Has to get through that as well. <laughs> Uh, and then, but it's worth it for the one-liner. Hey, yeah. Bennett, let off some steam. <laughs> so ridiculous. I don't see what's ridiculous about it at all. Uh, so yeah, so then, yeah, gets his daughter. And that's when we get the scene of, like, oh, you should come back into the business. No chance. Yeah. And he's just, I love that, like, that bullet wound that made him not even be able to take off of us. He doesn't even go to a doctor for that. He just leaves. Yeah. No, there's, there's no paperwork on this one. They're on like an island oh. just off the U.S. The U.S. military just pulled up. There's somewhere between 80 and 100 dead bodies there. 
<laughs> and he's just like, I'm just gonna go home now. And they're like, I, I guess. I don't like. I mean, I, I guess someone tried to stop him, but I noticed that in both movies, which we'll get into in Cobra. But at the end, it's just like, nah, I'm just, I'm getting out of here. I'm not talking to nobody, not briefing anyone. Just, eh, fuck it. <laughs> just, yeah. Everybody's like, all right. It's just okay to go on these like long revenge missions that kill hundreds of people. That's just acceptable. Well, I love I love the fact that in these movies they they always justify that. So he's he's walking away at the end, and they're letting him go because he's such a badass undercover black ops guy that they can't just acknowledge that he existed and you know tell the truth. So now they're going to have to cover this up. When in reality, if he was a deep cover black ops guy, they would just shoot him in the back of the fucking head because he never existed. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. With a made up name like John Matrix. Yeah. It's not made up. It's really, really cool. I'm just saying. What part of Germany does the Matrix family come from? (laughs) I know. That's the other thing. He is from East Germany. There's only. There is only one name more 80s than that, and that would be if his name was like Dick Powers. That's so good. Uh, so apparently the martial arts expert on the film who worked with Schwarzenegger. Martial arts did he do? Yeah, I don't know. Remember when he, he martial arted that gun at the guy? So martial arts expert and fight choreographer worked with Arnold on the film. And by the end of production, he estimated that Schwarzenegger had become a second degree black belt. <laughs> estimated. <laughs> oh, yeah. He does nothing karate oriented in this film. Because <laughs> when they finally do get to like a fist fight, it's just punch, kick, punch, kick, tackle guy and fall, fall over the side of something. I, I suppose uh, if we're going by like little kids doing karate standards, him throwing the guy through the hotel wall probably counts as like breaking a lot of boards. I guess. He's he like, does- that's the equivalent of like six boards. He's second degree black belt. Oh, the fucking 80s. Uh, so apparently Nick Nolte was originally the original choice for John Matrix. What? So, yeah. That would have been a totally different movie. <laughs> very, very different. He, Nick uh, Nolte's so stiff. I know. I don't know how he would have like done anything. Uh, see, Schwarzenegger can bench over 450 pounds, but they made the phone booth out of balsa wood anyway, just in case. Uh, this one's weird. The introduction to Matrix as he comes out of the forest with close-ups on his boots, chest, biceps, etc., was shot and edited in a similar to fa- in a similar fashion as I'm gonna butcher this Lenny Riefenstahl's Nazi propaganda movies. According to the director, this was done to represent the notion of the invincible man of the earth emerging from the forest. See, I told you he thought a lot about this. (laughs) I didn't pick up on that, per se. (laughs) Jesus Christ. Now, all I want is I want to sit in a highbrow film class with this director explaining to people. You see, he represents the invincible man coming from the forest. Ooh. I, I I didn't realize Commando was so deep. <laughs> All right, when, so. when she shoots the rocket launcher backwards, it is to show her confusion. <laughs> uh, okay, so this one says, 
the official number as to as many people Matrix killed is 81. So maybe I was thinking of the other movie. Yeah, there you go. I'm definitely correct. Yeah. Uh, Schwarzenegger stabbed himself with a knife and had to get stitches. Which I bet that Vernon Wells guy did it. He's like, no, nah, I'll just say I did it so he doesn't get fired. <laughs> but don't ever give him a real knife. Uh, Schwarzenegger performed many of his own stunts. His producers found it difficult to find a stunt double for the bodybuilder. And he suffered a dislocated shoulder and several stitches. I bet you the dislocated shoulder was right before he had to take off that vest. That explains it all. <laughs> I, fo- I like to focus in on really specific things in this movie. <laughs> Uh, uh, you guys want to hear my one big complaint about the movie do it the very end when they're walking off towards the plane and uh what's her name cindy like Mm. jumps off to meet them and then jenny matrix runs over and hugs her doesn't make any fucking sense it's the first time they've met (laughs) <laughs> so that was really that's always been upsetting to me ever since I was a little kid like, but they don't know each other why are they just randomly hugging it's actually kind of creepy that she wants to hug a little kid she doesn't know it's because Alyssa Milano was using her vampire powers on her <laughs> she wasn't a vampire yet she didn't become a vampire for several more seasons of Who's the Boss Yeah, apparently this was made right after the first season of Who's the Boss that makes sense uh, see, Arnold Arnold ran three to five miles a day, and of course would pump iron for an hour. Jeez. Just an hour? Yeah. Goddamn. Uh, apparently, this came out the same year as Rambo: First Blood Part Two. Yeah, that um, is uh, Rambo: First Blood Part Two is higher than it on the uh, is one up one above it on the official list of most kills. So this is number seven. Rambo is uh, number six. Um, after she worked with Schwarzenegger, all of Alyssa Milano's friends started bullying her and calling her Conan. <laughs> Poor kid. It's not her the, fault. I put the bullying part in, but I mean, it just says her friends started calling her Conan. Like, how else well, are you that, supposed to take that? That sounds like bullying. Intro-friend <laughs> uh, uh, porn. In retrospect, he is teaching her karate at the beginning of the movie. That must be why they had a karate expert on set. Maybe. For that one scene where he's teaching her to throw that elbow. Which he then never uses. That should have been called back. He should have like oh, yeah. she should have thrown that elbow and taken out like Nick from Cheers. Uh director Mark Lester wanted Raw Julia for the role of uh Arius. That would have oh, yeah, made more sense. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh Mark Lester calls the film the quiz quiz quintessential 80s action movie and granddaddy of the genre. Yeah, you know who else calls it that? Everybody who's ever seen it. That's right. Uh, film was inspired by DC Comics character Sergeant Rock. Sure. Okay, I can see that. Sure, why not? Um... Yeah, pretty much it. That's enough. Yeah. (laughs) We've said enough things about this movie. They've all been positive. This movie's awesome. I mean, this is basically um, a men on a mission movie where there's no team. There's just guy. (laughs) Because you don't need a team. Right? (laughs) Motherfucking John Matrix. The plot of this movie is you've got 11 hours to kill as many people as you can. (laughs) 
I'm, tr- I'm trying to think of a lot of movies that are like similar to this, and I can't think of one that's just as plot thin and this guy is just going to kill all of these people to do this thing. What's funny is like, when a movie like John Wick comes out now, and people are like, what, so they killed his dog and he's just going to kill all of them? And we're, everyone's like, yeah, like that's an acceptable plot. It's because <laughs> of movies like this that that's an acceptable plot now. It's because, like, yeah, it's just an action movie where you just do that. And as long as it's like tonally they get it right and the action's good, we're fine with it. Oh, see, now here it says body count 109, 102 killed by Schwarzenegger. Oh. Conflicting, conflicting uh, things in here. We'll start with the 81, like you said. I think it's I think it's the criteria. we got to see what the criteria is for a kill. <laughs> Very important. Uh, Especially if we're going to compare the two films we did. How are we going to know? <laughs> well, I don't think it's close. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, this movie is just fucking awesome. I remember it, watching it over and over when I was younger, and I haven't watched it in a long time, so I'm super glad we did this one. It, it itched a, uh, scratched an itch I've had for a minute for a good, like, mindless action movie. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I, we're kind of on a roll, too, because I've been in the mood for a really gross horror movie <laughs> and slugs really hit the spot last week so i'm like yeah oh, i thought you were really... gonna say frogs no frogs, <laughs> isn't gross. frogs is boring agreed but i'm talking i think i think it was the i explode scene alone last week and i was like yeah that's it that's what i needed <laughs> that's that's that high i've been looking for i need a movie where schwarzenegger just carries a tree around on his shoulder <laughs> If only we can find another one. I was like, I need two movies with guys with equally ridiculous names. <laughs> uh, yeah, this will work. This will work. So... His, last, his last name's Cobra Ready, for fuck's sake. <laughs> uh, all right, well, let's jump into Cobra, starring <laughs> Sylvester Stallone as Marion Cobra Ready. Which, uh, the Cobra. Which, interestingly enough, they picked the name Marion. Because most 80s action heroes were called John, uh, such as John Matrix and John McClane and John Rambo. Yeah. So the hero of the film was named Marion after John Wayne, who is the epitome of the cinematic tough guy. Apparently. It's old. Uh, so in this one, Stallone is, well, he works for the, uh, what they call the, the zombie squad. He essentially takes care of all the crazy, crazy shit that nobody else really wants to deal with, sort of. Yeah. Uh, I'm also a little confused because at one point they seem to infer that he works for Interpol, which is, you know, the uh, cops that investigate other cops. This movie is not great at explaining what is going on, so we don't always (laughs) know who's doing what at what time. No. Um, so it's sort of his job. Of course, it opens with a guy just randomly shooting people in a grocery store. Of course, it does. Holding hostages. And, course, the, the, and how much money did fucking Pepsi give these people? <laughs> yeah, lots and lots. Because I'm gonna say that stand up was pretty sweet. I was impressed by. 
It was the 80s, though. Grocery stores were a lot more fun to go into in the 80s. Now they're all yeah. efficient. They yeah. want all the shelf space dedicated to stuff you can buy, not just stuff that's fun to look at. I'm just saying, there's a solid 45-second shot of Stallone standing next to that stand and a cooler full of ice-cold Pepsi. <laughs> but then the ironic part is when he grabs something to drink, it's a beer. And you're like, well, that doesn't make any sense. It should be a Pepsi. They're the ones that paid for all this airtime. Oh, it's a good thing this is the choice of a new generation. And then he just throws it down. Uh, yeah, yeah. A, a room temperature Coors. Ugh. Not even a Coors light. Uh, so, of course, the police are too scared to go in, except for uh, the, the dad from Hellraiser. I don't remember his actual name. <laughs> dad from Hellraiser, good. He uh, he apparently is like a good cop, whereas Cobra is supposed to be a bad cop, as in not following the rules correctly. But the uh, chief or whoever makes the call, bring it, call it Cobra. So of course he shows up, just goes right in there, and then uh, yeah, ends up killing the bad guy pretty easily. Yeah. Well, because he carries, in addition to his gun, which is more of a distraction tactic, he also carries, like, throwing knives. Yeah. So. How'd you do? Yeah, most cops have that under their giant trench coats. With his cobra-hilted gun. Cobra! Uh, and then throughout the rest of the movie, um, it's shown that there is someone they're calling the Night Slasher who just randomly kills people. And then we find out that's... Like more of like a cult slash gang that is run by Brian Thompson, who uh, just randomly picks people and murders them. And of course, uh, Bridget Brigitte Nielsen, who's a model, sees his face as she drives by one of his kills. So of course they have to kill her, but she's being protected by Cobra. Cobra and shit happens. <sighs> Uh, I think we I think we also skipped the beginning. The opening credits of this movie where it's uh Stallone going, There's a rape in this city every forty five seconds. You know, voiceover, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. many homicides. So I was like, you know what? That's actually pretty fucking awesome. That is a fucking awesome intro. <laughs> The, the problem is it's not an intro to an 80s action movie. It's an intro to more of a like something way darker than, than what you end up getting. Well, I think it had it had overtones of almost like a Mad Maxian uh, like foreign exploitation film. Yes. Which which makes sense. This was was this one a canon movie? I think it was, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. So it was made by Canon. So basically, it's the American version of a foreign exploitation film. <laughs> it's a great slogan for the poster. <laughs> right. Um, so this was sort of my first time watching this movie. Although I did find out that I've actually seen part of this before, but I don't think I ended up finishing it. Because I have a clear recollection of um, when Brigitte Nielsen is doing a photo shoot and then she gets done and then the photographer walks her out to his car or to her car and he's basically telling her like, look, I really want to fuck you. And <laughs> she keeps turning him down. Yeah. 
Listen, it's the 80s. You're a model. You want jobs. Have sex with me. Yeah. yeah. And he almost implies, like, I don't even really want us to have sex, but I want your career to do better, and the only way I could help you move up in your career is if we had sex, so you better just do it. It is fucking horrible. <laughs> even in the 80s, this would have been offensive. So even in the 80s. I remember him dying. I remember that whole scene of him getting killed in the uh, parking garage simply because... When I was younger, I was obsessed with the TV show Sledgehammer. Okay. And that guy played Sledgehammer. Oh, that's right. That was Sledgehammer. And so when he came out, I was like, oh, fuck, it's Sledgehammer. Well, I was probably like seven, so I probably didn't say fuck. But I was just like, oh, man, Sledgehammer. (laughs) Uh, Oh, gee whiz, it's Sledgehammer. And I think because I was watching with my stepdad because he's like, hey, what's he doing in this movie? And so I remember that part of it. I remember absolutely nothing else from this movie but it does clear up one of those again one of those weird memory things where i'm just like what was that movie with the guy from sledgehammer and gets killed in like a parking garage and now i finally have the answer it's cobra but i don't think i saw the rest of this movie because i remembered absolutely nothing else it's i know i know this one uh obviously it's got its uh uh following in the the action movie crowd and stuff but I've always liked it because there's a. This is a fucking. For, it's an '80s super cop movie, which mm-hmm. which are awesome, admittedly. Yeah. And it's crazy serial killer movie, which is awesome. Which is also and it's awesome. also a serial killer cult movie. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's like everything. It's everything you fucking want. Yeah, and it's awesome. I don't understand why this one doesn't hold a higher place on the shelf than it does. Well, I, I can walk you through a few reasons why. <laughs> oh, okay. Because I, I don't think I'm in, uh, in love with this movie the way you guys are. Okay. Um, first thing, the first, the first thing is it's you say it's all these things, but those things don't mix that well, and so from scene to scene, you are watching a very different movie. Um, and most notably, Cobra the character just does not fit in with this movie. This movie oh, feels dark and real world and he is a cartoon character mm-hmm. and that's a problem <laughs> like he, he just doesn't blend with the rest of the universe that they're creating at all for everything from the way he dresses to the way he talks to the way he behaves is just off compared to how the rest of the movie is am, am i the only person who got the impression what they were trying to do with cobra is they tried to take uh, mad max and <laughs> It like uh oh man now now my brain's not working. It's like Mad Max in another eighties. They just smushed them together and we're like, yes. So, sort of like a dirty Harry type thing? Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Yeah, and I can see that, except Mad Max and Dirty Harry are very different movies. Sure. You can't really mix those. Um and so I like I think it's a real problem that his character like again, in Commando we sort of established real early on laws of physics don't apply so we don't need to ask those types of questions this is just a straight up shoot em, blow em up action movie cartoon in Cobra they're trying to keep that darker sort of thriller feel to it they want us to be scared of the bad guys but then our main character is is an action movie character hmm. and then the other problem is that he's not a good action movie character because <laughs> The whole point of being like 
the hero in a movie like this or in a movie like Commando is you have to have like sort of that pure motives, right? But Cobra shows up in the opening scenes. First of all, he's part of like this squad. Like the cops basically call him in when they need someone dead. That's not maybe, and maybe I'm applying 2018 sensibilities to this <laughs> film, but the idea of a police officer who you call him because you're like, we need you to come here and shoot somebody. And he's like, I'll get in my supercar and drive down there as quickly as I can. Man. <laughs> right? Man, That's a good supercar. It's, it's a cool car, but it's just upsetting to me that there are cops whose job it is to just kill people. And they're like, we don't feel like negotiating today, so bring in the other guy and he'll, he'll kill him for us. And then even just like the, the the cobra on his gun feels wrong for a cop to have that. You're not supposed to enjoy your gun that much if you're the cop. That's something, again, if a villain had it, it'd be cool. Or if a guy in like a science fiction movie had it, it'd be cool. It doesn't work here because he's supposed to be a cop. And he's like, even when he kills the guy, it's not like he he doesn't even lie and say he did it to protect people. It's like a one of the reporters has the balls to say, do you think you used any excessive force? And you could have come, come out with this with a better outcome. And he physically assaults the reporter and basically says, like, fuck you, this guy deserved to die, so I killed him. It's like, well, that's... Cops aren't supposed to kill for revenge, are they? Like, the good guy cop in a movie shouldn't be doing that. Well, like, like I said, like they, they play him off as this Mad Maxian character. Sure, but he's not Snake, a... Snake Plissken, that's what I was going to say. He's Snake Plissken and Mad Max somehow jammed into one sure. thing, but set in the wrong thing. Yeah, again, like, yeah, I wouldn't want Snake Plissken's character acting that way in a real-world movie. In this weird science fiction future that they invented, this dystopian future, you go, okay, he has to behave that way. But you're taking a character like that and putting him into the real world, and especially because you're trying to portray him as the hero, and all of a sudden he's the bad guy in the opening scenes, and it's just, it's not working. Like, I'm not rooting for him. And even, like, it's just, like, putting aside the killing people stuff, like, when he goes home that night, he decides he wants to park in a certain spot, and there's some guys that are just, like, already parked there. So he uses his, like, supercar to push their car out of the way. And then, like, when they get up in his grill, he's, like, basically ready to kill them, too. Those guys weren't doing anything wrong. He's just, like, a dick. Well, they were playing loud Latin music. Yeah, yeah. There And <laughs> there's a, definitely an implication that those guys were just, they were a little too dark and they needed to be whiter. And if they had just been wearing white people clothes and listening to some soft rock that he would not have treated them that way. And it's upsetting. Mm. Plus, he, plus then he goes inside and he has pizza that he's going to eat and he uses scissors to cut it into a smaller piece of pizza, which is... <laughs> <laughs> See, actually, that's one of those things that I was like, yeah, that's something this guy would do. <laughs> and Again, like that's obviously not my real complaint, but my real complaint is that we're like two minutes into the movie, and I'm like, I think this is supposed to be the hero, but he's such a bad guy, and they're going to expect me at the end of the movie to be on this guy's side, but I'm, I'm not. I'm never going to be, and that's a real problem. And then when they have that guy, then in like a police station, interacting with characters who feel like they're from like a like a Dirty Harry type movie, like they feel like they're like the the real cops, and I'm just like, but. 
why why are these guys in the same movie? They don't belong in the same movie. <laughs> like unless there's some sort of weird portal that they discover and this guy comes through it. These guys should not be in the same movie. Hmm. Well, I wonder if some of that is because apparently they cut like forty minutes of movie out of the <laughs> out of the movie. It's plausible. Well, I'd like to see that. Um, apparently there's a very rare work print of the movie that's available amongst fans. Although most copies are in poor quality, it has approximately 30 to 40 minutes of footage not available. Jesus, that's it, a it lot. Ha- and it ha- also has all the X-rated material removed from the from the final release. Sorry, X-rated. Well, I got an X rating for like violence and oh, okay, all that crazy shit back in the 80s. Now and again, they, though that they do that, go out of their way not to show any blood for a movie where there's a group of people with axes and knives supposedly yeah. hacking people up. Yeah, well, some of the cuts apparently is the first murder victim having her hands severed, uh, an extended autopsy scene, including lingering shots of naked and mutilated bodies, uh, longer death for the photographer Dan, including a shot of him slipping on his own blood while trying to escape. Oh, yeah. See, this sounds awesome. See, it sounds like that that, all that would add to the exploitation element of this film, which would then maybe make Stallone's character fit in. So you might be right that the problem is, the problem might be that the studio tried to make this into a real movie when it wasn't supposed to be. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think I think I get what you're saying, because basically what his character ends up being is his character is the main character in a revenge movie. With no revenge motivation, oh, okay. so he's just a yeah. crazy dude. I have an answer people. for that. I have an answer for that as well. Okay. Apparently, uh, one of the plots that was cut out of the movie. Um, let's see if I can find it so I can read it directly. But um, so one of the cuts that was made of the movie. Uh, apparently, the night slasher originally was supposed to have killed his girlfriend before the movie started. So that's why he's like so like worked up wanting to catch him. Okay. And then that whole thing apparently was cut out of the movie. Yeah, see that I think that makes it make more sense. Cuz right now yeah. in the movie the only thing you get for his motivations is him giving the speech at the beginning about how many rapes and murders and you know, terrible things that happen in the city on a daily basis. And basically it just makes him sound like a cop who's snapped. Yeah. And I, that's, I mean, another major problem with the film is like, it seems like they cut out that storyline so that they could add in the romantic storyline between Brigitte Nielsen and Stallone. Mm-hmm. And that is some of the worst chemistry I've ever seen on screen when they're trying to <laughs> pretend that those two are flirting. And I'm just like, I, it is terrible watching those two try to like pretend that they're like falling for each other. Well, and these movies make me uncomfortable. Do you guys remember back when Brigitte Nelson was attractive and not a terrifying monster person? <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's hard to remember that far back. That's what but, I'm saying. I like watch Red Sonia, and I'm always like, man, Red Sonia is so awesome. Oh, yeah, that's Bridget Nelson. She's a horrible monster person now. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a nice thing to say about someone. It's a true thing. Uh, I'm, I'm not here to be nice. She is like a, a terrifying walking <laughs> corpse monster of some kind. Yeah. So okay. So it looks like there was yeah storyline in the original 
um, the original script, which they took out, where Cobra mentions how some psychopath he was trying to catch killed his girlfriend, and that whole thing was taken out, which would lead more to his sort of revenge quality, like you guys were talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because, I, I mean, again, if you wanted him to be sort of an anti-hero, if you, like, again, this this movie isn't capable of pulling this off, but you could have a good movie where he is, like, not a good guy, but he's called in to fight the even worse guy kind of thing. Like, that that does happen in, in movies, and it's it can work. But in this case, it's like they're trying to portray him as this as the hero, and he's not a hero character. It's a real problem. He's also not a likable character, which is a separate issue. Like you go back and compare this to Commando, like yeah, but that's, that's I, just because it's Sylvester Stallone. Yeah, no, but he's likable in other movies. Is he? I think he's ex- extremely likable in the Rocky series, and he's extremely likable in the Rambo series. See, I think in the Rocky series you can kind of get behind him, but you don't ever get behind him because you like him. Uh, Demolition Man? Well, Demolition Man doesn't count. <laughs> <laughs> he, there's a lot of things propping up Demolition Man. That that movie should be hot garbage, and it's fucking awesome. <laughs> but, okay, but I, I think regardless of, you might have made a, a, made a point there by accident. Like, yeah, like, you can get behind him in these other movies where he's playing a less-than-perfect character. So we know Stallone can pull that off. So I don't necessarily blame him for the fact that this character is not someone you can get behind. I mean, obviously he can do it acting-wise. Now there is, he was involved with the screenplay, or did he, I don't know if he wrote the yeah. whole thing, or if he was just yeah. one of the writers. And some of what I've read is that he was heavily involved in the directing as well. Mm. And maybe he shouldn't be directing himself? I don't know. I don't know. I need to see the supercut now. <laughs> it does sound like the supercut is a very different film, and maybe like again, as an exploitation film, maybe this works better. Well, one of the fun things about this movie is apparently originally Sylvester Stallone was going to be the lead in Beverly Hills Cop. Yep. And he did a lot of work on the screenplay, turning it into an action extravaganza that the studio couldn't afford, according to IMDb. Well, yeah, because from what I've heard of that, is like they brought him like Beverly Hills Cop that we all know, but for some reason they wanted Sylvester Stallone to be in it. He takes the script home, rewrites it as an action movie, brings it back, and they're like, "It's a fucking comedy, man. What like what part don't you understand? We do not have the budget to do the things you want to do. We don't want it to be an action." movie and then so he's like fine then I'm not even going to be in your stupid movie yeah and then apparently he took all those ideas and put them in this movie yeah <laughs> but ironically this movie is based on a book weird yeah based on a book called Fair Game which was later also made into a movie called Fair Game with Billy Baldwin and Cindy Crawford which I only saw once when it was new in like mm-hmm. the whatever 1990 whatever it came out i do plot wise i mean there were some similarities right people were chasing her the cop had to take her out of town to like keep her protected unnecessary sex scene 
I only yeah. watched it because Cindy Crawford got naked in it, and I don't remember anything else about it. Is the main character's name Cobra Ready? I don't believe <laughs> so. His nickname is Cobra. I don't believe it's the same. No. Then I do not give a shit about that movie. <laughs> I don't remember it being good, and it's like it's mid '90s action starring Cindy Crawford and whichever Baldwin you told me is in it. I can't tell them apart. Really? So. I, I don't know if that helps you decide whether or not you want to watch that movie. I'm not watching it again. Just look up the the pictures of Cindy Crawford topless, then you'll be good. Working on it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, getting back to Cobra, like trying to get us back on track a little bit. That's my main job in the podcast. I, I also think that another one of the problems is that like yeah the bad guys are cool and stuff but they're not they're not developed enough I guess is my problem like they look neat and stuff like that and then yeah. I'm sorry, I don't know I don't know the actor's name that you guys both really like that plays the Brian Thompson head of, head of the cult there yeah like yeah. he's a inherently intimidating creepy guy and he's made a career mm-hmm. out of being inherently intimidating yeah. and creepy you know yeah, he's and, got a great fucking voice too yeah, his his yeah his voice and his face are enough to make a villain. Mm-hmm. Are they enough to make a villain that runs a cult? Is the question. Like, if he was a standalone serial killer, yeah, that'd be good enough. I feel like but, that would have been that would have made it better if he was just a standalone serial killer. I think so. I think the, the cult element was it wasn't bad. It was just unnecessary and it was underdeveloped. And so. Yeah. It just added a body count is all it really yeah, did. Yeah, I was getting yeah. ready to say, I think, but this whole movie, uh, although this, it, my opinion might be changed once I find the supercut, uh, it pretty much boils down to, it's all a setup for that fight in the boundary. Yeah. And without the cult, you don't have the cool series of dudes he has to murder. Sure, but is that fight good enough to make a movie around? Yeah. This is the question. See, yeah, and this might just be where our opinions in the film differ. Because no, it's it's fine. I don't really have a problem with it. Uh, as wrong. far as uh, I just don't know that it's worth sitting through this movie to get to that fight. I agree with Doug on this one. What the fuck? Like the fight's yeah. good. It's not like we're saying it's bad. It's just if you if you were to take out the cult stuff and make him just a serial killer and find something else for them to fight. Like, I would be perfectly fine with that. Yeah, like, even if this just did end, like, every other action movie with just the two main characters duking it out on some bridge and one of them has to throw the other one off. And, you know, like, that would have been fine, too. He could have been operating out of a factory. I would have been fine with that. Yeah. I don't know. I I just, uh, I don't know. I, I, I'm not going to try to argue that this movie is as good of an 80s action movie as, say, Commando. <laughs> well, no, 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 don't. Like, it's, but, not, it's unfair to this film to compare it to Commando. We have to discuss it on its own. But in my, in my <coughs> thorough love of overly set-up deaths in uh, factories that make flames and sparks... Because where else are you going to get your flames and sparks? That's that's what I'm saying. This is like this is everything I want in like an '80s movie. In the fact that it's all a ridiculous long setup to like a really cool thing. Because it is. I don't give a shit what you guys say. At the end of this movie, in that fucking factory, is awesome. Every 
every fucking second of it. Him setting the guy on fire, awesome. All of it. it with the fucking match he's been carried around the entire fucking movie for no goddamn reason. You have the right to remain silent. Yeah. Uh, and, which leads into the best part of the movie, which is where the crazy serial killer guy is like, ha ha ha, you're not gonna kill me, you have to arrest me, because you're a cop and you follow the law, and that's what you do. And he gets this whole speech in which it's supposed to be that moment of, oh, oh my god, he's right, he's got him, he's a cop, he can't shoot him. He just set a guy on fire for no reason. <laughs> he could have he could have arrested that guy, he set him on fire. Well, I think a better version of that whole scenario is from Lethal Weapon 2. When he's like, diplomatic immunity. Diplomatic immunity. <laughs> Danny Glover's like, it's been revoked. And then just shoots him in the head. Yeah. See, it's better. Yeah, and him sticking, <laughs> I mean, come on, the giant hook, the giant hook through the guy. And then you see him, like, going toward the fire. So not only is he hooked, he's getting ready to get burned alive. Oh, yeah. <laughs> not saying it's bad. I'm just saying, I would have, you could have come up with something else. That's fine. Yeah, again, all this stuff is good. None of it is... None of it is something I haven't seen done just as well in other movies that were more enjoyable in the scenes leading up to it. Madness. (laughs) (laughs) I accept... No, I accept this. I get why people do not like Cobra. I fucking really like Cobra. And I'm not saying I didn't like it. I actually really enjoyed it. Yeah, I'm never gonna. I'm never going to try to uh, argue that it's because because there are movies where you get basically the same thing but better, like RoboCop, right? It's, it's yeah. a cop killing a bunch of people. Some of the deaths are way over the fucking top, and you have a cool, crazy bad guy. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. but yeah. To- but totally, RoboCop is a satire film, and this one takes itself very seriously and does not. <laughs> Does not set itself up in that way. Yeah, well, that's because it's a canon film. <laughs> so, okay. the guys who ran canon basically just stole things. I mean, that's that's all they did. They they stole things, marketed things, and then packaged them and and threw them out the door. In this, they saw Mad Max and they probably saw Escape from L.A. and a few other things, and they were like, "Man, that's really fucking cool. We should do that." Uh, but with a serial killer, and they're like, "Oh yeah, serial killer, that'd be awesome." And they're like, "Who's who's somebody that we could talk into being in one of our semi shitty movies?" And they're like, "Sylvester Stallone, yeah, because <laughs> we've already driven Charles Bronson to his grave." <laughs> it's Escape from New York, by the way. You should at least oh, mention you. the good one. Thank you. And isn't it? What year was Escape from New York? Let's find out. They even have. They wouldn't. They've even had time to watch it and steal from it. I could have looked. I'm that pretty up sure myself. it came out before, right? Uh, 1981. So yeah. Oh, lots of time. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, five years before this. Yeah, but uh, like I said, they so they tried to do that stuff, but the whole trick is they were completely fucking incompetent, so they didn't do it right. <laughs> I mean, that's how we ended up with the Masters of the Universe movie, which is awesome. But clearly not done right. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Okay. I mean, and, everything everything you're saying is correct. I just don't understand how that leads to liking the movie. Well, in, that's in my love of cheesy movies and, and movies where 
I, I think people were earnest, but they fucked up. This is one of those movies, so I can laugh at all the things about it that are bad and enjoy all the things that are good, which ends up being a hundred percent good movie for me. <laughs> if that Fair makes enough. sense, because the yeah. bad parts are hilarious and the uh, the good parts are awesome, so it all works out. Uh, I mean, I can't counter argue that. What the fuck am I supposed to say? <laughs> I, mean, I guess technically you're right. Um, what did you guys think of the hospital scene with Brian Thompson, like being creepy and sneaking out of the hospital? It was pretty awesome. Yeah, his performance is strong. Mm-hmm. He he plays the villain well. Um, yeah, see, that's what I want more of. That's kind of why I was hoping it was yeah. more. It would be more of like a serial killer movie than a cult movie. Well, yeah, because and if you went to it just being about these two guys who were on this collision course based on something that happened, you know, before the movie even started, mm-hmm. you could have played it up that way, and you could have spent more time with Brian Thompson. I think that would have worked better. Yeah, because he's like the most interesting part of this movie, and we don't really learn about him or. Yeah, we don't spend that much time with him, like getting to know him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I 100% agree. I think the movie, if, if there was zero Brigitte Nielsen and you just replaced that with more Brian Thompson stuff, it'd be a better movie. Even if you had Brigitte Nielsen there, but you didn't spend, you didn't, I, a lot of it has to do with that, the really poorly done romance angle between her and Stallone that is just. Yeah. Because it is just atrociously bad, and it's not even like it. Really fun to watch. My call: rewrite the movie, take out Bridget Nielsen, replace replace her with basically Alyssa Milano from the last movie. <laughs> Add back in the whole thing about his girlfriend having been murdered by the same guy. Yeah, serial killer takes little girl. Cop goes on revenge. Yeah, you know that that makes complete sense. Yeah, because you make that into a child character. Hopefully, you eliminate that romance angle that I don't want. So, oh, God, I hope so. Oh, you could make it so it was his girlfriend's kid, like not his kid, but his girlfriend's kid. Sure. Ooh. And then, so oh, yeah, yeah, that's good. I mean, I mean, a lot of this get Mark Lester to direct this instead of whoever did, and you solve a lot of these problems. You get somebody who knows what they're doing. You have that simple shorthand where you find out about his girlfriend dying in the opening credit sequence and you still see that he's still visiting her daughter, even though he's got no legal connection to her or whatever, cause it's just mm. his way of staying in touch. And you could play that all out really quickly and really easy and get to the action. If you wanted to, it would be easy to do, but they just, they weren't doing that. And, and I don't think like, you know, knowing that Stallone wrote the screenplay, it's like, he wasn't trying to make commando. He was trying to make, you know, first blood. And those are very, very different movies tonally. And I think the problem is, you know, when you're when you're this far off on the tone that you're going for, you're just it's very difficult for me to get interested in the movie. Mm-hmm. Man, the director of this uh, movie had a very short but pretty solid career. Yeah, I looked at that earlier. I can't remember. He, like I remember seeing that he did Tombstone, and I remember thinking, well, he, he learned how to do movies by then. Well, he did. He did Rambo too, which while everybody can make fun of Rambo 2 is probably the more popular. Oh, it's probably the more popular, and it's again, it's the commando of Rambo movies. It's the one where it's just like, 
Yeah. It's this guy, like the character, we take the character that we know from the first movie and we throw him into this ridiculous situation and he, everything blows up and laws of physics are thrown at the door and big action scenes happen that are unnecessary and not needed, but they're fun to watch. Uh, and he also made Leviathan, which is a really, really good movie that had the misfortune of coming out near when the abyss came out. You know, I, I don't think I've seen Leviathan, or if I have, it's not since it was new. So, it's it's good. It's just not amazing. And the problem is, the abyss, arguably, probably top ten movies like of all time. That's that is a serious fucking movie. Yeah, you know, I'd, I'd have to rewatch the abyss just to discuss intelligently. Yeah, oh my god, so, those forever. Those fucking the the water amoeba creature effects that are done in it. Yeah, especially the fact that they were done with like barely existent CGI. They're mostly practical. Is just fucking insane. That's all I remember about the abyss is the effects. I can't remember yeah. anything else, which is. There are giant butterfly-looking aliens in a deep crevasse. And uh, uh, what's his face? That actor that nobody can ever remember his name, but he's been in a shit ton of stuff, and everybody likes him, isn't it? Do you guys think the Abyss would have been better if it had just been a serial killer movie instead of? <laughs> it would have been serial killer underwater. It's a great idea. And you take sofa. the female character out, and you put in Alyssa Milano from Commando. <laughs> Why is she in that deep sea mining colony? Nobody knows, but she's in danger. You know, we're gonna end up on a list. <laughs> like they keep talking about putting Alyssa Milano into movies. They're like, yeah, well, she's attractive. No, Alyssa Milano from Commando. They'd be like, no, that's wrong. That's like, when she was like ten is when they wanted her to be famous. <laughs> You know what the best cease and desist letter we could letter we could ever possibly get is Alyssa Milano being like, "Okay, you guys need to stop talking about me. <laughs> <laughs> this has gotten way out of hand. You guys are weird. Stop it. <sighs> All right. Do we have anything else we want to say about Cobra? I see. I did. I, it's it's hard to like give a recommendation on this based on like this, where I'm sure people would at least be okay with it, mm-hmm. but I don't know if people are going to enjoy it as much as I enjoy it personally. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I would say don't watch it when you uh, are either have just watched or are about to watch Commando. Yeah, it's not unfair. Uh, yeah, I, I'm just going to go ahead and say don't watch Cobra. I, I I just think there's... If you're interested in this kind of movie, there's better ones out there. You can find... It, and it, it's unfortunate because the villain in this movie is, like say, played by an actor that just naturally fits that role well. And I, I can't try to think of another example of him as just like a creepy serial killer. And he, he should be great, and I just don't think they give him an opportunity. Stallone's off his game in this and then the rest of the movie just doesn't really work mm-hmm. and apparently Stallone was like crazy on set too so. yeah I was going to say we can uh, close out with some of his antics from on set because uh, apparently at one point the cinematographer Rick Waite uh, Stallone was complaining to him that they were falling behind 
and that him and his crew needed to work harder. And Waite responded by saying that maybe if Stallone would get his hands off Bridgie Nielsen's ass and stop showing off to his bodyguards, maybe they wouldn't have problems with time. <laughs> That's hilarious. And apparently that jarred Stallone so much <laughs> he did not expect somebody to talk to him that way. That He didn't even get mad. He just was like, oh, shit. And then he apparently then did tone down his ego for a couple weeks. But then by the end of the movie, was back to just being an ass again. I feel like Stallone, as a human being, underwent sort of the same arc as Rocky the character. Like he was like <laughs> he was like nothing, nothing, nothing. Then when he hits it big, he like lets it get to his head and all that. And then he sort of becomes a rational human being again towards the end. Because <laughs> by the time like Stallone's making the Expendables movies, he's complaining about other people who were like lazy on set and not being professional and stuff and you're like but that was you in the 80s um so imdb says the stan bush song the touch from transformers the movie was originally written for this film i don't think i believe that you got the touch i believe it because the soundtrack of this movie is crazy and like i i just i wrote it off as just yeah fine it's just the way the uh the way things worked back then but it's it's so weird to listen to this like weird pop 80s music with in like these dark serious moments of the film um so apparently for night slasher's monologue at the end with cobra yeah brian, brian thompson had to do the scene with the script girl because stallone was off watching a basketball game on tv what's wrong with that oh come on you gotta be there. You gotta be there for your actors. You gotta do your off screens. Yeah, I, I would say that, but Stallone disagrees. <laughs> um, Apparently, some of the extras and stuff were like forbidden from even talking just to, oh, yeah, to yeah. Stallone and that, which is funny. All crew and uh, supporting cast members were not allowed to talk to. Uh, Stallone said he got the idea for the zombie squad from a real life zombie squad in Belgium comprise the cops who go out at night and handle crazed criminals on their own terms. Yeah. And that's something he glor- decided needed to be glorified and that should be brought into North American <laughs> culture. Uh, yeah, see, nobody was ta- allowed to talk to him, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah. Other than the fact that that was his car car we all liked oh yes so he bring, brings his own car into the movie and then of course they would have had to i don't i don't know yeah. if this is correct but i assume they would have to go out and build yeah because of it because it gets yeah. smashed up they said they built so, two dummy cars that, that they used for stunts yeah so of course he could have just used like a normal car and then they could have just gone out and bought three of those cars <laughs> but to feed his ego they have to use his personal car and then they have to build two more to match it <laughs> which is relatively minor by movie standards i guess yes but especially back in the eighties when they were just throwing money around like crazy. Plus like when you think about how many cars got smashed up back then and <laughs> excuse me, every car was like a specialty car, so I don't know how many general leads they probably had to build, but Thanks for calling the Midnight Drive In. No one is here to take your call. For more info, check out the Midnight Drive In on Twitter at MN Drive In Pod or find us on Facebook. If you want to email us, send it to the Midnight Drive In at gmail.com. Remember, no outside food and drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive in will immediately be taken to the office.
office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling. Hey guys, this is Eric in Ann Arbor. I just wanted to follow up with you on the uh, whole issue of peeps and snacks. Uh, yeah, it looks like Brian's outvoted. <laughs> Down with peeps, they suck. Also, looks like Noah and I have similar taste in snacks because I also prefer potato chips to Doritos. I'm not sure how either of us should feel about that because Noah has proved he has terrible taste with his movie picks, uh, and I am what Buffalo Bill would refer to as a great big fat person. Uh, so it is what it is. Anyway, uh, since he is on my side, I wanted to reward him with some uh, suggestion of some other uh, possible terrible animal attacking movies for you to cover. Uh, you could do a show on Night of the Lepus from 1972, starring Janet Lee and DeForest Kelly, and Prophecy. And to be clear, I'm not talking about The Prophecy in 1995, starring Christopher Walken. I'm talking about Prophecy from 1979, starring Talia Shire and a bear puppet. So, have fun with that. Uh, <laughs> also, I just wanted to encourage all of you to get to the theater to see A Quiet Place. If you have not already, the hype is real. Uh, it is an extremely well-made movie in all aspects and i would be surprised if it doesn't end up being my favorite horror movie of 2018 so go check it out uh yeah that was the show keep up the great work guys talk to you later all right so as you just heard another voicemail from eric hopefully i remember to put it in this time yeah i hope as you we hope you just heard <laughs> Peace. so everybody says i'm outvoted on peeps uh well, I don't care. It's just more peeps for me. Random so. random update. I have confirmed peeps do exist in Canada. I just still haven't tried one. Interesting. That's, that's I still have no opinion on them whatsoever. <laughs> uh, and then he recommended uh, some uh, Animal Attack movies for Noah. Uh, Night of the Lepus is a fucking amazing, first of all. <laughs> I've never seen that one, and it's been on my list forever. It's got giant killer rabbits. That's why it's been on my list. <laughs> Thought that went without say. Yeah. Ah, oh, it's a good time. Uh, somehow, the other one, Prophecy, had flown under my radar, but uh, as we were all just sitting here and waiting for Doug to finish listening to the voicemail, I looked it up, and the poster art has me sold. <laughs> it looks like a horrible little bear mutant in like an amniotic sack, and I got a note. I gotta know what's in there. <laughs> All right. Well, it sounds like I added to the list because I think we need to see these movies. We will call, we will call it the Eric episode. <laughs> okay, and then we'll send it to everybody's junk folder. <laughs> So for all the listeners out there who uh, don't send in feedback and maybe you think it's too much work, Eric records those messages, attaches them to an email, sends it to us, then private messages me to tell me to go to the junk folder and take them out <laughs> and put them into our regular folder so they'll actually get played on the air. <laughs> because otherwise the, we never know we get them. <laughs> it's weird because, I mean... He's in our address book in the email account, but for some reason, Gmail's like, nah. It's, 
Uh, I was discussing it with him, and he told me that he tried to email something to himself, and it got sent to the junk folder. <laughs> He's on a list somewhere. Yeah. I'm like, I don't know who you pissed off at Google, but... <laughs> so, if I have a certain uh, program pulled up on my computer while we're recording, one of the things it does is it cycles through all of the photos mm-hmm. that are in my messengers and stuff. And so I was just sitting here and we were talking and that chick's butthole from Sludge. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I almost I almost choked to death. Hope, hope you all enjoyed that as our as your cover art for that podcast. Not quite as apparent because it cropped it a little weird, but it's still there. Uh, good times. Alright, well we do have three other emails. Uh, first up, Frank says, hello, gentlemen, and Noah, two exclamation <laughs> Ow. <laughs> Good observation, Frank. Uh, guys, I love the show. We need to do a video game night again. Uh, yeah, that would be good. Um, he's like, but in the Leprechaun in Space episode, I do agree with Doug and Noah. The Leprechaun was the good guy, and my 11-year-old daughter agrees as well. He was doing his own thing. Then assholes show up and mess with him. A sad film, the hero dies. Uh, anywho, when are you guys going to do such classics as Rollerball, not the shitty remake, uh, Buckaroo Banzai, and other drive-in type movies? Love the show. Keep up the great work. Later. Well, Frank, keep listening to this episode. You may get one of your wishes to come true. Yes. No, we'll finally admit that 11-year-old girls understand movies better than him. That's what, <laughs> to what your daughter has to say. <laughs> nice. Uh, Noah, why don't you talk about the one from Chris? All right. So from Chris, we've got... <laughs> this This really shouldn't bother me, but sadly it does. Fulci directed The Beyond, not From Beyond. Stuart Gordon directed From Beyond... <laughs> Both are fantastic and insane, and together would make a great episode of your wonderful show that I still listen to, uh, Toronto Chris. P.S. Being the nerd that I am on top of, on top of the fact that I live in the town where they recently filmed it. That's a weird sentence with odd punctuation. I I started a fake dairy Maine tourism Instagram account to mess with businesses in Maine who are inadvertently following me. Check it out. Uh, and that Instagram is Instagram.com slash explore dairy Maine. It's pretty good. <laughs> I, I do happen to follow that. Or sorry, the show follows it using our official night drive in. Instagram account, the Midnight Drive-In on Instagram. Uh, and uh, it's pretty funny because if you happen to be from this area, you recognize that town quickly, but I guess it passes for Terry Maine if you don't. <laughs> uh, and yes, I'm sure I did misspoke. I do that a lot. <laughs> I tend to do the thing where you transpose words. But yes, I did watch the Fulci one. I did not watch the Stuart Gold Gordon one. I watched about beyond, not from me. Fair enough. I, I think that's a reasonable mistake to make. Mm-hmm. And you know I don't like defending you, but I'm still going to. <laughs> <laughs> 
I <laughs> I may not like what you say, but I will stand for your rights. <laughs> I mostly just want to make sure I'm protected for when I make a similar mistake in the future. Uh, and then, weirdly enough, as we were recording, we got another giant email from Brian with an I. And uh, Doug actually volunteered to read that one. Doug did not volunteer to read this. <laughs> this is Eric's email where you guys discussed who was going to have to read it. And, uh, well, here we are. So bear with me, folks. I hope you like the sound of my voice because this is a long one. Uh, it starts with a bunch of quotes. You're a funny guy, Sully. I like you. That's why I'm going to kill you last. Don't wake my friend. He's dead tired. I eat green berries for breakfast. And right now, I'm very hungry. Remember when I promised to kill you last? I lied. <laughs> By the way, this this uh, the, the subject of this email is an ode to John Matrix, <laughs> which is fantastic in and of itself. Uh, email goes on. If you've ever heard those words spoken by John Matrix, I'd say you probably don't have much time left on this earth. <laughs> What's up, guys? Brian with an eye here. <laughs> what else can be said about Commando that hasn't already been said since accepted? It may be, without a doubt, the greatest action movie of the 80s, if not all time. Yes, I'm putting that up against Die Hard and Robocop. And uh, I'm going to start summarizing because there's too much here. But yeah. <laughs> So Brian's mom took him to see RoboCop when he was seven. That's the gist of the next two sentences. Oh, that was a bad idea for his mom. <laughs> I disagree. That's just good parenting right there. Uh, but Commando's a different beast altogether. It's an upper echelon of films. Don't give a fuck what else is going on. If it's on TV, you have to watch it. End of story. The other night he started watching it. His wife doesn't really like these kinds of movies, but she stopped what she was doing and watched John Matrix beat the living hell out of Bill Duke in a shitty hotel. <laughs> we just talked about that scene for like a half an hour. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, it's, he calls that the commando effect when people just have to stop and watch, even if they don't like this kind of movie. I love that. <laughs> oh, he addresses some of the same concerns we did. Does John Matrix jump off of an airplane that's 300 feet in the air? and conveniently land in a shallow swamp with no physical damage? Yes, he does. <laughs> John Matrix Hotwire, a bulldozer, drives into an army surplus store in the middle of a city, mind you, and go and smash and grab for military weapons. Yep, because John Matrix does what he wants to do. <laughs> does John Matrix need to reload guns? Fuck no. <laughs> does John Matrix kill a regeneric crease paint fake mustache-wearing foot soldier? On that made-up island, you bet your sweet ass he does. Best movie ever. <laughs> All 81 of them, as we've established, actually. Yeah. So here's my segue to an, another new favorite I've come upon, and it's all thanks to us. Chopping Mall. Fucking awesome. Yeah. I knew we'd find a way to bring Chopping Mall up. <laughs> I hope he's going to delve into the alternate universe that I wish existed. Let's see where he goes with this. <laughs> Just finished all the back episodes of the last horror cast, and before you guys did the chopping mall commentary, he had to watch it. Rented it on Hoopla. What the hell is Hoopla? Oh, oh, there's a lot of different services out there now. Anyways, you should be buying the Blu-ray. 
<laughs> oh, he's going to tell us about Hoopla in a minute. I got to quit questioning this and just keep reading. <laughs> it literally says I rented it on Hoopla, comma, which I'll tell you about in a minute. <laughs> watched it and the next night, watched The Changeling. She also enjoyed tremendously, just an amazing film. Then I watched Chopping Mall again. <laughs> And frankly, I want to watch it again. That's the chopping mall effect. It's just that fucking good. But while I'm watching it, I'm thinking, oh, the mall looks so familiar. And yep, it's the mall from Commando. And Doug, I agree with you. I want to see a Killbot Commando movie. Did I already say that in another podcast? I must have. I must have. I was thinking it tonight, and I forgot to bring it up. Just want, I just want to live in an alternative universe where Commando doesn't make it out of that mall. I mean... Poor little Alyssa Leno gets killed and can never star in all those other movies, but <laughs> he has to fight the Killbots. I'm down. Uh, so on his second watch, Brian with an eye had an, uh, a revelation. Those Killbots have their own theme song built into them. <laughs> Could be wrong, but whenever they're rolling up, uh, rolling up on those twenty-year-old teenagers, the music would fade in and get louder as they were rolling the frame. Could be wrong, but he thinks they're. They projectile C4 laser cannons. Yeah, I think that's about right. Um, then it makes sense that they have their own onboard theme song slash death anthem. It yeah. never occurred to me that the music in that movie was coming right out of the robots. <laughs> but it's no less ridiculous or more ridiculous than everything else that happens. So, sure. It's true. Why not? All right. So, here's where he's going to explain this hoopla thing to us. Doesn't know if we know about it. We don't. He says it's pretty neat. It's set up with your local library. You have to make sure your library supports it. If they do, you make an account and download the app on your mobile device. A shitload of movies, TV shows, ebooks, audiobooks, and comics, and albums. You can only take out so many rentals a month. They have some obscure stuff on there. And he saw Anthony D.P. Mann's Dracula and Sherlock Holmes movies are on there, which is interesting. For people who don't know, I used to host a podcast with Anthony, so that's why he's getting brought up. Uh, it doesn't know if it's available in Canada. Give it a shot. I am actually going to look into this, and if it is available in Canada, that's one more way to watch yeah. movies for free, yeah. it sounds. Or even if it's why a small not? fee. Uh, yeah, Hoopla. I got to remember that. Anyways. He also has uh, thoughts for a show idea. Everybody has thoughts for show ideas this week, so he's got to fit in. Since we did Commando and Cobra, make it into a battle of the action heroes. And uh, so let's see, he wants to do... look at 80s action heroes, Rambo, John McClane, John Matrix, and so forth. They have to be human, have a kill count at least into double digits. That's not hard for these guys. We do action heroes named John, Rambo, Matrix, McClane. <laughs> John Spartan, John Wick, Johnny Utah, John Kruger. <laughs> Jesus. It is weird how many Johns there are. I know. <laughs> you, guys, you guys can get creative. Uh, I don't know that we can. Uh, sorry, so long again. Just lots of thoughts. Oh, and one last thing. Here we go. Marshmallow peeps are okay, but only in moderation. Cadbury cream eggs are the shit. And Cool Ranch Doritos are the greatest chip on earth. Boom. It just to throw it out there, I fucking love fast break bars. I don't know what those are. Mm. They're everything that's bad if you crammed into one delicious candy bar. <laughs> it does sound good. <laughs> Take care, guys.
You take care too, Brian. You jammed a lot into that email, but most of it was awesome. You were were almost off of my nemesis list till right there at the end. (laughs) No, I crossed out the B, the R, and he was about to cross out the I on that nemesis list, and then, oh, no, Doritos. Doritos, I think not. And I imagine Noah, like uh, Steve Buscemi from uh, Billy Madison. Oh, yeah. He's crossing it off and then puts some lipstick on and lays back. Yeah. That's <laughs> why we record audio and not video, I assume. <laughs> that and my grotesquely large nipples. All right. Yeah. So. All right. And just when you thought it couldn't get weirder, it got weirder. All right. So, anyways. Uh, so, we have a new uh, Chopping Mall devotee, which yep. is awesome. Uh, it is like my life mission to convince people to watch that movie and to love it. And as soon as you convince them to watch it, they love it. So that's yeah. that should be like our thing. Like we don't ask for donations on this pod on this podcast, or we don't like give you like codes to go sign up for websites or anything like that. You know, we don't try to get anything from you. But what we should ask you to do is convince all of your friends to watch and enjoy Chopping Mall. Yeah, that's that's then, uh, friend Jim Warnarski on Facebook. Yeah, yeah. Tell, tell him we said hi. Just ask him to approve Scott's friend request already. <laughs> it makes Scott so sad. And then when they trust you, show them a Volver. <laughs> <laughs> Good times. I am going to sneak a Volver in one of these days. <laughs> I don't know how. Because you've already been warned. But it'll happen. Uh. Yeah, we'll do it after the 23 other things we have on the list to do. Is that 23 including the three more suggestions we got tonight? Or? Oh, tw- t- 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 26. <laughs> um, all right. Did you guys watch anything since last week? Uh, a couple things, but very little. Yeah, me too. That's good. We had a ton of feedback. Yeah. Let's go for Did it, Noah. Watch it, Noah? Uh, so I watched, uh, I got a Hulu account, so I watched all of Runaways. Oh, yeah? Uh, I still haven't watched it. Is it any good? It's okay. Yeah. Uh, it, it, I think I enjoyed it a little bit more than I should have, only for the fact of, uh, as, as many people who listen to the show have probably gathered, I'm a bit of a comic book dork. What? And uh, Runaways is actually one of the series that I've never read. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so I only know the characters tangentially. I don't know a lot about what happened in the comic books. Uh, other than like two of the biggest spoilers. But that's because if you read the other books, then you know certain things, which I'm not going to tell everybody. But yeah, I never read it. I did read the, uh, what the fuck did they call it? The arena books, which was essentially Battle Royale with young mutants. Okay. That's cool. Uh, yeah, it was like a bunch of like characters from a lot of the younger uh like uh, what the fuck do they call it? like Avengers Academy and uh the new new mutants and whatever, just like a lot of those runaways and stuff young characters end up on an island and they all essentially have to kill each other. And it turns out it's all been created by Arcade, 
and it's actually a giant virtual reality type thing. Oh, that's yeah. actually pretty cool. Yeah, it's pretty good. Uh, so I would say it's it's good from from the very little I know about the, those comic books. It, I feel like they took some liberties with the plot, although I'm not, like I said, I'm not intimately familiar, so I don't know how off base they are. I just know that the comic books involve apparently like giant or interdimensional giants of some kind that people are trying to summon into this world. <laughs> and there didn't seem to be any of that. So. Interesting. I know uh, James Marsters is on it, so I was kind of interested in watching because I'm a big fan of his. Yeah, it's, it's not bad. I think the other thing is, so you guys know what the basic plot of Runaways is, right? Doug, do you know? Or you're not a super into that kind of stuff, right? I do not know the plot of it, but I have it recorded, and I've been debating whether to watch it. So. Okay. Well, I mean, the, it, it's pretty simple plot. You've got a group of kids who all discover that they're special, obviously, yeah. and the the twist is that basically they find out that their parents are bad guys is pretty much it. So it's, it's the... Okay. Uh, one generation against another generation is pretty much the entire gist of it. And All right. from what I've seen in the comic books, they portray the parents as pretty fucking bad. Like, they're, they're still parents, but they're evil enough that you're like, oh shit, these are really evil <laughs> fucking bad guys. And in the show, they seem to do everything they can to do the whole... Uh, well, yeah, they're evil, but they're only like kind of evil. They're doing they're doing bad things for the right reasons, you know that that kind of bullshit. Which I don't like. That I don't. I feel like it was an unnecessary cop out to add more drama to the show. Mm. Well, that's, that, that's my only complaint. Yeah, that sounds like if you don't know much about the comics, so that won't bug you as much. Yeah. Other than that, I liked it. I mean, I I think all the characters are likable. Uh, I'm not going to get, since you don't know anything, I'm not going to give it away, but one of the people's special ability, which is probably the best one, doesn't like, you don't get a lot of that until you're pretty far into the first season, which was disappointing. Hmm. Yeah, it's definitely on my to-watch list. I just need to get around to it. It was good. The end of the first season is uh, not not even a cliffhanger. It's one of those weird, like, leaves everything out in the open and completely fucking unresolved. Mm. Which I'm not, I'm not a big fan of. I think shows should quit fucking doing that. Because you never know if you're going to get another season. Oh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so I watched that, and then uh, I told you guys last week that I bought The Princess Bride, so I rewatched The Princess Bride. <laughs> Perfect. Because I wasn't going to not do that. Uh, and as it turns out, it's still fucking awesome. Oh, that's surprising to hear. It's, it's just <laughs> as awesome as every other time I've watched it. And I still only have one complaint in the entire movie, and that's the scene where... Uh, Baron Von Douchebag and uh, his bright buttercup are rolling down the hill. Mm-hmm. The stunt double for him is so atrociously bad. 
And that really bothers you in that movie? Oh, my God. So bad. Well, it's just that uh, there are a lot of movies where you can kind of go, oh, there's a stunt double. You know what I mean? This one, when he's rolling, you, like, see the guy's face, and it's clearly an older man with a big, thick mustache. Yeah. Like, it looks nothing like the main actor. What's You're the like, problem? You can clearly see it. <laughs> It's just really bad. That but, I've noticed that before myself. Yeah. <laughs> but I watched it. It was awesome. Made me miss Andre the Giant. Andre the Giant was so fucking cool. Oh. Yep. Yeah, they released a big uh, documentary on HBO about him this week. But yeah. I haven't had a chance to watch it yet. Oh, okay. I was going to ask if you'd seen it because that's yeah. something I want to see it. I just yeah. got to figure out how, where it's playing up here. Like, but I'm sure some station will pick it up after it's been on HBO for a couple of weeks. Do that sometimes. You watch that. Uh, then I was wanting to watch some kind of a like horror movie documentary thing, and I was trying to think of how to do that with my lady friend in the room without boring her to death. <laughs> so I put in a best worst movie. Okay. Ah, okay. It, and was kind of like explaining to her all the details about Troll Two and how it's you know this god awful movie that that comes back around. <laughs> And how most of the people who were involved in it seemed to be genuinely <laughs> likable people, with the exception of the director and the mom, who apparently, you know, is a crazy person. Now. You didn't find that director likable? Oh my god, he is. I, I used to actually have a written out list of like movies that I wanted to watch, and I literally went through and took movies that he had directed off the list after I watched that documentary. She <laughs> is. It was just like, nope, nope. <laughs> I'm trying to think of a director who is more insufferable than he is, and the only person I can think of is the guy that directed The Room. Okay. He's the only one. He's the only person that, like, goes, no, I'm a genius. Look look at how people love the movie. And they're like, no, no, everybody likes the movie because it's really, really bad. No, which means I did a good job. I am a genius. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you're right. That's actually a pretty good impression of him. Yeah. <laughs> and so uh, so we watched that, and then because we watched that, she actually let me talk around and uh, watch Troll 2. So we oh, wow. That's not nice. <laughs> How dare you? No, she got a kick out of it. But maybe maybe it's with fun. the documentary in mind, knowing that what she's going into, maybe that does help. Yeah. Well, yeah, and I think that, I think that's the trick. You do not want to walk into Troll Two blind. If somebody tells you, "Listen, this movie is really, really bad," just roll with it. <laughs> <laughs> then it's awesome, you know. That fucking little kid, Neobog is goblin spelled backwards. <laughs> Grandpa, <laughs> Grandpa. <laughs> the only enjoyment I get out of that movie is the fact that they're goblins and not trolls. I, I can't sit through the movie, but I laugh every time I think about that. You can't sit through the movie. No, I I, I sat through it once, and I, I will never do it again. I, mm, I've never seen it. I'll watch the documentary again. I found that very interesting. That's I can, I can the documentary leave. made me sad a couple times, but... <laughs> when the dentist feels bad for everybody at the convention. Yeah, like when he's talking to people who are from like actual good movies... But they were only in the one movie and then did nothing else with their life. And he's like, oh, 
this isn't this isn't fun. Like <laughs> you can tell, like at the beginning, he's just so happy to be there. He's like, "Hey, you guys, all want to come over and talk to me because I was in this movie." Then turns out they were all in this. Movie. Like, what do you do now? No, no, none of us do anything now. <laughs> yeah, at least he's like an actual like professional. Yeah, like, you know, he's a dentist, so he has something to do, and doesn't even think about the movie until like this whole documentary came about. <laughs> then yeah, sees all these other people that no, this is my job, going to conventions and making money. It always makes me wonder though, like if you were like I remember specifically one of the girls was like from Nightmare on Elm Street Five, and I'm thinking like, but if you were in that movie and you could make a living by every weekend going to convention and signing pictures of yourself, if you could just make enough money to pay your bills and get by, wouldn't that be better than having a job? I mean, that sounds good. But if you think of what that job actually is, have you ever worked in customer service before? Yeah, but in customer service, everybody who comes up doesn't automatically like you. Yeah, but could you imagine working customer service and dealing with nothing but, and I know people are going to get offended, but I'm one of these people. People at conventions, they're the worst people. (laughs) They are the worst people. 75% of them are the worst people. They probably, a lot of them smell bad. They have terrible hygiene. A lot of them are weird. They ask uncomfortable questions and have no understanding of personal space. Like that, doing it sounds, I think the attention sounds awesome. I think the practice sounds awful. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's. Well, think about it. Think about it, Doug. Because you said everybody that comes over automatically likes you. But I would say that's not entirely true. If they don't even know like who you were in Nightmare on Elm Street Five, and then they come over and it's some really gross guy who is very obvious that all he does is gross things, and he's like, "Oh, what movie were you in? Nightmare on Elm Street Five? Did you get naked in it? Oh, then I don't care," and then walks away. If you heard it, my blog, The Daily Splat. Yeah, then you have to deal with that about fifty times a day. (laughs) They'll know. You guys paint a very negative portrayal of it. That's because I've been to a shit ton of conventions. Yeah, I've, I've been to at a table at conventions. I've only ever been to conventions that were in Canada and were just nicer up here than you guys are. That's probably true. It's really okay. just like here, it always just seems like, you know, there's, there's people come over going like, oh, I liked that movie. Can you that's, sign this? That's the adjustment we need to make to the analogy. Now imagine doing that, but all of the people you have to deal with are Americans. Yeah, you're, you're right, I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> just for the personal safety concern. I noticed you just got extra Canadian there. You're like, I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> just distinguishing myself more from you people. Because uh, I've sat at tables and then had like independent filmmakers next to me trying to sell DVDs. Yeah. And I've seen that exact guy that I was, I was doing an impression of. That was not a made-up <laughs> character. Uh, come up and ask the actress, mm, are you naked in this movie? And she's like, no. Mm, pass. And she just throws the DVD on the table and walks away. Oh, fucking dick. <laughs> exactly. I've seen a ton of those people. And I'm just like, oh, you're the fucking worst. That's just fucking horrible. So, yeah. But there are very good people at conventions. I just don't know if I'd want to wade through all the bad people. 
to deal with the good people on a daily oh, basis. Yeah, see, this is just not, I guess, this is just not my experience, but hey, what do I know? And you'd get all those people that are pissed off because the cool people, you get so excited that it's a cool person that you want to sit there and talk to them for a minute. And then the mm. shitty people are waiting in line, and then they're even shittier when they get up because you made them wait so that you could have a genuine conversation with an interesting human being. Yeah. Like the guy behind her with a laundry basket full of shit for her to sign. Uh, you're taking up too much time. I need all my stuff signed. And don't personalize it. <laughs> uh, we're ruining conventions for Doug. I don't know. It's time. I'm out of the convention circuit right now. I don't. I haven't been to one in a few years, anyway. So, I am too. Thankfully, I went to one over the summer, and I was like, "Oh, that's right. I remember. I hate most of this stuff." Because me and my buddies have been talking about driving down to one in the states, just because it's harder to go to ones up here that are uh, good. Cinema Wasteland is probably the one you would want to go to. Last last year, I went to uh, Rock and Shock out in uh, out by Boston. And it was the first one I've been to in a long time that was truly awesome. Yeah. Well, there you go, Doug. There's your recommendations. Go. I don't want to go to any of those things now. You guys make me <laughs> sad and turn on me in the whole thing. Just go be uh, one of the cool people who stands in line and just says something nice and gives the person money. It gives them a compliment on something that they were in that's not like super well known. I don't even want to. <laughs> like when I talked to Amanda Weiss from Nightmare on Elm Street, um, of course mentioned Nightmare on Elm Street's one of my favorite movies, but then told her I absolutely loved you in Better Off Dead, which I feel since I've said this is getting a little bit more of a recognition, but yeah. and she got super excited and talked to me for like another five minutes just about Better Off Dead. Well, next time I'm thinking of going to a convention, I'll just watch Better Off Dead instead. <laughs> uh, we've killed Doug's happiness. Yeah, took, long, took long enough. <laughs> I mean, I mean, that's. I think that's one of the the double edged swords of podcasting. Our best case scenario is eventually we can make a tiny bit of money from advertising. And be popular enough that we have to go do that every weekend to make money. It's not going to happen. It's a non-issue. I know. I'm saying best case scenario. That's in a perfect in a perfect world. You're stuck at a convention table for the rest of time. Hey, but maybe you'll be sat next to like uh, the Iron Sheik or something, and he can yell at you. Oh, that would be the shit. That'd be amazing. <laughs> Reinvigorated. I'm ready. Did you watch anything else, Noah? I'm continuing my work through of uh, uh, eleven. Uh, God damn it! I always forget it. The uh, Stephen King JFK one. Oh yeah, eleven twenty two. It's good. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I liked it as well. It's really good. I actually started it like two years ago. Mm-hmm. And only got a little ways into it, and then lost my access to Hulu. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sure, said something. I have it on Blu-ray. That's eh, all right. Now I got it. I'm getting. And like I said, it's. I think it's awesome. Uh, I think it's 
it's a extra compliment to the show that it has James Franco in it, and I don't have any complaints about his acting or uh, being <laughs> James Franco. Okay. So we don't need to restart the James Franco debate. We've had enough times. <laughs> that's a, that's a compliment. James James Franco is uh, not James Franco enough for me to tolerate him. So, hmm. so it all works out. And um, I think that was pretty much it. I don't think I watched anything else. I'm going to assume. Have you ever read the book? Uh, that's actually one of the few Stephen King books I have not read. So in the book, um, there's actually a gigantic... It reference in it whereas one of the times when he comes over because it actually spits him out in dairy in the book i don't remember on the tv show if if it actually is dairy or not um but he comes out in 1958 and he hears people talking about a couple summers before how this serial killer dressed as a clown killed a bunch of kids and then uh he actually runs into Bev and Richie doing something for a school project. Hmm. And I was, hadn't talked to him for a little bit. So it's a nice little revisit to uh, stuff from It, uh, if you read the book. In the book, does he go through the time portal multiple times? Yes. Okay. Yes. I was wondering about that because the, the TV series seems to be that he just goes through the once. Mm-hmm. Now he goes through multiple times because he has to. He like checks a bunch of stuff, and then the guy played by Chris Cooper actually like has him go through, and he's like, "Well, let's try this out as like a test. I know that this happened in like 1959 or whatever." So he spends like six months like there, stops this guy from shooting somebody, and then comes back to see if you know if it worked. And then you know. Then they, that's when they get serious about devising the plan for the JFK stuff. So, okay, yeah, I was wondering about that because it's weird. It's weird to establish that many rules about what happens when you go through the time portal and come out and go back in and all this kind of stuff, only yeah. for him to only ever go through it once. Yeah, yep. And him going through multiple times is actually a big plot point towards the end. So. Yeah, read the book. It's worth it. Uh, you got anything, Doug? Uh, not really. I watched the end of Santa Clarita Diet. Um, so take the comments I made about the show last week being awesome and then take, add on the rant Noah did about how shows shouldn't leave the big uh, sort of open ending when you're not sure if they're coming back. Yeah. Merge, the, merge those two and that's how I feel about that show so <laughs> I think I had the same complaint after season one is that they did the the kind of like open ending and you're like well what what if you never come back and end this or what if it just takes a really long time so mm. but it seems to be that TV shows think it's okay to do that now and none of them care that I think it's not okay so I, th I think it's interesting that American TV shows have gone that way, and British TV shows seem to have done the exact opposite. And now seasons are self-contained storylines, which have options to like go into other stuff, but don't need to be resolved. Well, I, that's how I think it should work. I think your your season finale should be a finale, 
and then yeah, you can have you're gonna have storylines that carry over, but overall, I think it should be a finale, and I don't understand why it wouldn't be. So mm. I don't know. That's again, it's just a general complaint I have that happens to apply to this show as well, and that's all I had time to watch, so I had to complain about it. So. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, it's still on my list, but yeah, I, I I still recommend the show. I think it's good watch. It's just a a frustration I have, and I, and like I say, it is, it does seem to be the way a lot of shows are going. Yeah. Uh, anything else? No, that's it. That's, that's it. Are we cutting out on each other? Are we? I don't know. You, you weren't cutting me. out on me. Was I cutting uh, out? Well, you asked me the same question twice, I thought. Oh. No? Is this like the opposite of cutting out? Maybe. I don't know. Like cutting in too much? Are you going to edit all this out? No. Fuck. Uh, <laughs> no, I got nothing else to talk about. Uh, so I only watched one movie this week, uh, which is a movie on Shudder called Lake Bottom. Or Bodom, or B-O-D-O-M. Okay. Um, so I was super excited about it, because the setup is that like this grisly sort of murder happened at this camp back in the 60s. Um, and not like a summer camp, just like somebody camped out uh, next to a lake. And they never caught the guy who did it. And so, of course, these teenagers who are obsessed with this case decide to... Well, let's go camp out at the site and uh, just kind of, you know, be jackass high schoolers and see what happens. <clears throat> Starts out pretty solid. Uh, I felt like it got a little meandering in the middle. And then the end, a lot of shit happens. But then I felt like it ended very unsatisfactorily. But... Uh, like it's okay it's not like the best it's uh it's a norwegian film so it's subtitles so be prepared to read which i don't ever have a problem with but sometimes people get kind of turn their nose up at subtitles which is funny but um yeah i don't know i can't really go into it too much because there's a couple twists throughout the movie that will be ruined if i explain too much but like, it's okay. I just feel like there could have been more, and they didn't uh, capitalize on that stuff enough. So, if you have Shudder, I mean, it's essentially free. So, feel free to give it a watch. Uh, and then I guess the other big thing is I've been watching Fargo Season 3, trying to get ahead of Doug, so when Doug finally catches up, we can talk about it. Um, and it's been pretty good. Like, I'm, we're halfway through first season now, or season 3. I keep I keep thinking first season because it's always different every season. Um, and so I have a question because Amanda was super excited about one episode for a very specific reason. And it didn't really mean anything to me. Um, did you guys in school ever have to listen to the Peter and the Wolf record? Peter and the Wolf record. Sounds familiar. Uh, I think I had the storybook. That's... Uh, so the record is essentially the guy is going to explains how each character is represented by different instruments in the orchestra. 
And he's like, so grandfather will be portrayed by a tuba. And it's like, burr, 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 you know, whatever. And so he explains all this stuff. And then uh, as he's telling, then telling the story of Peter Wolf, uh, the instruments come in for the characters or whatever. I had never listened to it. So I had no idea. Um, but the fourth episode opens with that whole narration. Like someone's just playing the record, but it's you know playing over the show. And Amanda got super excited. She's like, oh my God, this is so fantastic. And then, so she pulled it up on YouTube for me afterwards. And I mean, it's, yeah, it's like an old thing where they explain, you know, it's put out by Disney or something. I think it's just one of those like storybook and record type things. Um, okay. But the cool thing, at least I could, I can even see this, is they, the, they open the episode with that sort of narration going on. And then for the entire rest of the episode, the score for the episode is the music from that record, which was kind of cool. Just the way they used it for like different characters and stuff. So I thought that was really like an interesting thing to do for like a one-off thing in an episode. But I just had no idea the sort of what the, the record was. Amanda said she listened to it in school all the time. So she was super excited. And then, uh, and when she was listening to it, like on the show, she's like, yeah, and this is like actually the one too. Like, this is the actual record. I'm like, okay, cool. But then she looked it up later and it turns out she was wrong. Uh, it did sound very similar, but then the voiceover doing all the explaining stuff was Billy Bob Thornton. Oh, neat. Which is kind of a cool tie in and just sort of a weird, a weird thing to do, but watching the episode like it's just really cool how they sort of factor that into the episode so it was one of those things it, it was a nice twist because she got to super nerd out about something and i got to go i have no idea what you're talking about so you're gonna have to explain it to me a little change of pace <laughs> yeah exactly so it was a lot of fun uh and the show's still been really good i was a little iffy on the first couple episodes but i feel like it's picked up ewan mcgregor is doing an awesome job he plays twins this season so that's awesome yeah so it's fantastic so i can't wait till you uh get a chance to watch it we can chat about it a little bit more all right i'll try to get to it <laughs> fine it's so much stuff to do here's a brief glimpse of some of the truly fine pictures we've scheduled in the near future so as per frank's email earlier we decided maybe we should since he semi-requested it since we already had the had it on the list, we're gonna do uh, Rollerball, the original James James Con movie, not the 2002 remake, and uh, we're gonna team that up with the Roger Corman classic, Death Race 2000. What did you call it, Noah? Like dystopian future? <laughs> yeah, dystopian future sports. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. I've never seen either of these, so I'm actually looking forward to next week. Ooh. Could be good. Well, the tie-over is that Sylvester Stallone is in Death Race 2000. Oh, that's right. I knew that. So, yeah. Does this character stand out because he just doesn't belong in that type of movie and the character doesn't fit the tone of the rest of the film? <laughs> the good news is every character in Death Race 2000 stands out. <laughs> See, that would make it okay. Yeah, I would say Death Race 2000 is almost like 
1980s WWF where each person has like a really like eccentric character but they're all race car drivers so fine with that yeah so it's a good time Uh, it's sort of where the uh, I don't know the point system came from where if you hit like an old lady you get 20 points or whatever (laughs) really yeah that's where that stems from that's where that stems from yeah because it's a a cross-country race and it's just you get points for hitting different people and doing different things or whatever yeah i watched this for the first time a couple years ago and i was like that's where that comes from that makes way more sense fantastic (laughs) it is uh, a masterpiece in its own weird way (laughs) Well, I feel like it is like the big one of the big movies that Corman's known for. Well, it certainly is has a reputation. Yeah. So it's gonna be fun. We'll see if we come up with our own uh, racer nicknames for next episode. <laughs> Spoiler alert! I won't come up with any nicknames for the next episode. Uh, <laughs> then you will be assigned one. <laughs> Doug doesn't like to play. Uh, oh, I guess I should mention I watched uh, WrestleMania this weekend. Oh, yeah? It was kind of uh, bleh, but I had my nephews over, and they absolutely love wrestling. They're in that prime. Like one, of, My oldest nephew is 12, and the younger, like the middle one, is nine, and then the youngest one's like five. So they're like in the prime like WrestleMania range. Yeah. And they, they'd never seen like a WrestleMania because they don't have... Um, they don't have internet, so no. they uh, they live a very sad life. I don't and even understand how that would work. Me neither. Uh, sometimes they get to watch. I mean, they watch wrestling on like my my parents have cable and stuff, and so they DVR like Monday Night Raw and SmackDown and stuff for them. But yeah, so they've never actually seen a WrestleMania. This is their first WrestleMania. They've seen other pay per views before. But so they were super pumped and had a good time and it was fun watching them get like super excited over people getting pinned and booing. It was kind of a blogger this year. But, yeah. but it is fun to go to, to to watch stuff like that with kids because they get right into it. Yeah. Yeah, and they were. He was, my nephew was just so they did this thing, which I thought was going to be uh, a continuing thing. And, of course, they fucked it up because of the WWE now. So Braun Strowman wanted to challenge for the tag team titles, but he didn't have a partner. And they told him he had to have a partner, even though they had already given him the match. But he had to find a partner by WrestleMania. And so he decided, I'm, I'm not going to call anybody from the back. I'm going to pick somebody out of the crowd to be my partner. And he picks like this little kid and I'm just, and then of course, you know, he ends up winning even though he did it all himself. What? The kid didn't play a major role? No, I know. You're surprising. That seems unfair. I found out later the kid is uh, a kid, uh, a son of one of the referees. So it was. Okay. Oh, wait. Whoa. Was it staged? Yeah. It wasn't even as as exciting as I thought it was going to be. Because I thought, like, oh, maybe he's like a Make-A-Wish kid or something. 
is what I thought, oh man, he won. So what if now in order to defend the titles, he has to have a partner. So every time he defends the titles, he picks like a make a wish kid out of the crowd to come up and be his partner. And I was like, that could be a fun like thing for them to do for like a couple months. I mean, I'm not saying it has to be like a long term thing, but yeah. it would just be something fun for them to do. And uh, the very next night, they relinquished the titles because because Nicholas is still in fourth grade and has to go to school the next day. Wait, the next night they re- yeah, the very next night on Raw, they relinquished them. Oh, for fuck's sake! This is why I stopped watching. Just yeah. stuff like that. I'm just like, this is so, bullshit. Like, so you, you use WrestleMania to set up this big moment, and then the next day you're just like, nah, it's done. Yeah, pretty much. Fuck that. <laughs> I know. And I think my idea was like way better. Oh like, yeah, like either you, either that's a make a wish kid, and you bring him on tour, and you just have him have him on Raw every week for a couple <laughs> of months, or you pick a different kid every week. That'd be so fun. Yeah, exactly. And then, like, even eventually, you could have it where they're like, you can't pick kids anymore, and then he picks some adult out of the crowd, and that adult is like an up and coming wrestler, it turns out. Yeah, or something like that. Like, there's lots of ways you could transition out of it. Yeah, when they fuck have like the kid get pinned one week, that'd be fun. That's how he loses the belts. <laughs> yeah. Like, See, there's many ways you can go, and I figured a good like three month run, like this would be fun, but no. That's, now I'm picturing a moment where like he's getting the crap beat out of him, and this like opponents drag him over to the corner and like make him t- tap the kid, and the little kid comes in the ring and, and like they just lay on top of the kid, and he just gets pinned. <laughs> well, there was a moment where Strowman was struggling, and so he kind of the kid puts his hand out, so Strowman like reaches over and tags the kid in, and rolls out. And Strowman rolls out of the ring, and the kid jumps in looks at Cesaro across the ring and Cesaro's like growling at him <laughs> and the kid immediately turns around and tags Strowman back in. <laughs> but my point was my nephew was just like, oh man, I hope they come to Peoria. I'll totally be like, hey bro, Bron, pick me, pick me. And he was so sincere about it. I'm just like, oh, you don't realize this is completely fake. Like not even just like the thing is staged. <laughs> With kids, it's like even when they get, even when they know in theory that they that it's fake, they still get so caught up in it that it doesn't matter. Yeah, because like I've I made a a habit of taking my nephews to see pro wrestling live because mm-hmm. it was just the easiest gift to give them, and they just yeah. loved it every time. And it's like that's that's what you do. Like, so I took like I took my oldest nephew when he was like I think he was like nine when WrestleMania 18 was in Toronto, and we went. And so I just sat beside him and cheered for whatever wrestler he wasn't cheering for <laughs> just immediately. And if, you know, that was, if you'll recall, that was when Hulk Hogan and the rock fought. So there was like, mm. it was a very divided crowd during that match. So we're like full on yelling at each other in the crowd at this wrestling event. <laughs> it was like, it was, but kids just get so into it that it's really, really fun. And like my one nephew got to like high five John Cena one time. And then another wrestler, I don't remember which one, like threatened to hit him the way they do. They he yelled something, and yeah. the guy turned and did like, "I'm going to smack you," and they they just they love it, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, in the last story, and then we'll sign off because I know Noah's about to fall asleep. Um, we went and saw like a WCW show back in the day, yeah. and uh, Mr. Perfect, Kurt Henning, was facing Diamond Dallas Page. Okay. And we were sitting close enough to the ring because it was just a house show. 
that my brother would run up as the uh, to the to the ringside as the wrestlers yeah. were coming out. And so Mr. Perfect's in the ring, and my brother held the diamond cutter sign up to him, and he looked at my brother, and he's like, "Shut up!" <laughs> and then my brother was like, "He told me to shut up." And he was like yeah. running around all excited. And then years later, when Mr. Perfect died, he's like, oh, he told me to shut up once. Please remember to replace the speaker on the post when you leave the theater. And now, folks, it's time to say goodnight. We sincerely appreciate your patronage and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an enjoyable evening of entertainment. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon. Good night. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.